So, I'm feeling kind of quizzical, maybe slightly mournful, but this is the last Friday night that I'm going to be recording in this location. Really? When are you moving? Uh, actually next Friday, and the cable's arriving the Saturday, so we won't be able to record next Friday. Yeah, yeah. So I'm taking two days off, I'm taking Thursday and Friday off just to help with the... Stuff. Yeah, that's We're a basically big, yeah. moved in, I mean, aside from, you know, a few boxes of junk here, a bed, some tables, okay. and ah, things like that, I mean... So yeah. you're in survival here at this place, and you've already moved <laughs> everything. Yeah, cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Why... Well, I, I, yeah, I I would I think I'd be feeling nothing but excitement. <laughs> it's interesting because I've got a lot to look forward to in the new place. The one thing I'm going to miss, but it's going to be replaced with other nice walks home, is the walk home. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I'm sure I can find... I mean, I'm going to have other nice walks home. I'm going to have, you know, other experiences. Well, yeah, I'm you'll just, just have to... That. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, yeah, no matter... Anytime you change, you know, there's... You get the whole package. Yes. <laughs> yes. So you live with it. Yeah. I think that's going to be a theme for this evening. But before before I get started in my... I don't actually have any written notes. I've got a few bits and pieces of, of things to look at, but I don't really have any serious written notes. Uh-huh. Is there anything that you want to start with? Any comments? Any topics? Oh, there's, there's a couple things, actually. Okay. Uh, these are just passing things, but, but for instance... I, I've got these 27-inch Apple monitors. Mm-hmm. They're quite nice, mm-hmm. but they're certainly not Retina displays. Yes, <laughs> you know, and I'm in. You know, clearly it's going towards that. Uh, hopefully, mm-hmm. the next IMAX maybe, but you know. So. Um, but what I'm curious about is what are the possibilities for real 3D without glasses? Well, we've talked about this. I don't think. Well. <laughs> About nearly, gosh, I'm scared to say 20 years ago now. It wasn't really 20 years ago. It was more like about 18 years ago. I worked for a VR facility in Australia that I kind of helped set up. And we had a fellow there called Ross Stokel, who was basically a career con man. <laughs> he, he, he was really quite a curious oh, you mean character. He was a businessman. <laughs> no, no, he, he was beyond a businessman. Yeah. He had a, it wasn't really a business, he had a hobby of kind of underage, not porn, but just underage girls wearing skimpy stuff next to nothing. He, he, I mean, he he was just a really quite curious character, and his big thing was, he had a method to do 3D without glasses. Uh Uh-huh. And, of course, the whole thing was just part of his shtick. Yeah. But my view is that in even contemporary 3D with glasses, polarized 3D or shutter glasses or all these kind of things are, they're problematic. They're problematic for a variety of reasons. No, no, that's why I'm talking about without, you know, I mean, I think the need to, the only two technologies, the only two technologies that really interested me were on one part, the cave technology which was where you wore shutter glasses, and on the shutter glasses, you had something that distinguished which way you were looking at. Yeah, I know, but this is we're talking about glasses. I'm talking about no paraphernalia, just looking at the damn thing naked. Well, I... I've I, seen it already, but it, but it, it, it's incredibly limited, and this was 20 years ago, and it was an unworkable system for commercial stuff, but it was stunning. 
But was that <laughs> to do with 3D projections as opposed no, to with no, your no, eyes? Or no, 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 that? no. This was well. It was a there was a monitor. It was there was a monitor in a box. Yeah. And a mirror above it, and the mirror was vibrating. Yeah. It, you know, so it, so it was all done. Um, somehow by, by th- that method. I yeah. don't really understand exactly how they got it to work, but anyway, it worked. And when, but the thing is, only one person could watch it at a time. Certainly. <laughs> it had to be right in the zone. And it was, a, you know, I mean, it was really primitive, but, but it was damn impressive 3D. Well, you can get damn impressive 3D with glasses. Well, you can't really. I mean, you get 3D with glasses that has the best possible position sensing through these caves. And the trick with that is that you just need to be between six, well, typically between six to ten feet from the screen, and the screen yeah. is on typically four No, but see, these are not faces. answers to the question I'm asking. Do okay, well, I think we need to ch- There are certain things... Is, there, is it even possible? I mean, it, it's, it doesn't seem like I mean, we've already done the impossible, so it just seems like a matter of figuring it out. But apparently nobody's figured it out yet. I think the way to do it is actually more associated with physiological programming. If you look at the way in which humans have adapted to computer interfaces, and in particular how generations have adapted to various computer interfaces, I think it's probably more likely to come through something that certainly you, and to probably a great extent I, will never be able to experience, but potentially within two generations through specific kinds of visual and interactive programming, I think they may be able to adjust their vision in order to do this. Huh. So you you think it's impossible then to just have a monitor sitting on my desk that mm-hmm. looks like I'm looking through a window that gives me full 3D perspective um, without glasses? Without glasses, yeah. Yes. Just, it, I'm thinking, why couldn't it track my eyes? Why couldn't there be a tracker? Because your eyes are looking at something at the same time. What you you mean somehow? No, no it's what knows where I'm looking. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not. I don't know. I'm just saying, if it knew where my eyes were pointing, each one could monitor. And then the the question is, of course, well, maybe Polaroid um, or polarized uh, uh, contact lenses I could live with. <laughs> so if I can get if I can get particularly well, it's not even particular. It, well, it's on the boundaries of science. When yeah. I studied photon physics, the lab tutor, who actually went on to marry a university friend of mine, talked about the nature of low-light optics. So, for example, when you're in a room in the evening and you see this kind of fuzz, which is light being emitted, but your interpretation is that it is almost in a kind of quantum particle level because it's so little light in such a large space. You could potentially, and this again is in low light conditions only, create volume through those kind of interactions, in particular through a kind of young slits experiment only taken in a particular fashion. And some of the more interesting 3D that I've seen has involved lasers trying to do this kind of stuff. Well, that's the other, another thing too is this idea of uh, holograms and, mm. and just, you know, not even having a screen at all. Yeah. But that, that seems to me further. Well, I don't know. That's just the thing is, is it, I'm trying to think what, what do we need? I want it. I want this monitor. I'll tell you why. 
<laughs> this is I've been downloading all these high high res uh, images of nature. Yes. For, uh, in anticipation of getting a 4K monitor one of these days. Certainly. And uh, and I've so and I'm using them as desktop images and yeah. they're really stunning pictures. And um, and I spent a lot of time in some of these. I actually know where some of these areas are because I did a lot of backpacking mm-hmm. uh, for a few years. And and I, 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 it's so thrilling to see these pictures on this big monitor. And I'm just thinking, boy, I can't wait till it's 4K. And then I was thinking, you know, why can't it be 3D? <laughs> you know, why, why can't I just, why can't we do that? I want that. I want this this flat screen to be like a window that I can look through and see what's out there and but obviously I mean I guess I'm you think I'm wasting my time worrying waiting for this to happen or well, or what it kind of it saddens <laughs> me that the actual natural world that has created these images exists currently and you're opining about getting a technology which is... Which would limited. make it irrelevant. <laughs> it, it's limited currently by da- data, power, uh, and probably... I mean, I can imagine a scenario where you had a monitor of uh, glass where you could illuminate things within the glass, um, potentially in kind of 3D-like circumstances. Ah, I But see. you would be... Yeah, that's not... Yeah. yeah, it would be relatively limited, and it would require yeah. a series of things that I think no, in ha- terms of power and data... Somehow it's going to have to direct light individually to each eye. I mean, there's. I don't see any way around... Oh, no, it could be a volume where the light just existed at points within the volume. Oh, like the, oh that's, that's right. All the other thing, yeah, this so-called light field photography. I'm wondering yeah. if that's going to uh, end up having... I mean, I, st- I have no idea what the hell that even means. I've read several things about it, but I, I don't understand it. It was full of formulas and shit. So. Yeah, that's to do with point light sources photographing an image and then reconstructing the image in a in a kind of spatial geometry. Well, I mean, I under- I've heard the words, it's just yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, yeah. how, how it actually works. I can sort of understand regular photography going through a lens hitting the film and yeah. all that stuff but uh, the light field thing well i suppose i could understood it understand it if i tried but yeah. anyway so you you think probably uh i'm not gonna live to see a real 3d without glasses screen on yeah. my desktop huh i i would i would maximize your enjoyment currently as the <laughs> be happy with 4k exactly no i mean look, we i don't know even know how big it is it's about i want to say it's about six feet by 12 feet we have one of these 4k displays that fills a meeting room at work <laughs> and when it's powered yeah. You walk up to it, and it's not like a retina display when you uh-huh. walk up to it really close. Oh, no, it's got huge pixels. <laughs> but, they, but they're not that huge. They're surprisingly small, actually. And well, this is I'm what sure you realize about yeah. with 4K, that actually what you're talking about is... But it's a vast quantity of data. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, it's, I know. It's you know, yeah, And I would like to go way past that. Yeah. 4K is only a start. Certainly. <laughs> you know? But I don't think that's a problem. I mean, we've done this. I mean, when you, I was just reading a little blurb about my original Mac. You know, 8K. Yeah. <laughs> the processor was running at 8K. Yeah, but that's... <laughs> That's eight kilohertz, right? Well, what, yeah, but I, I, I'm, all I'm saying is, I mean, you know, 
it's already gone beyond my wildest imagination when I first got a computer. Yeah. And, I, and I was imagining what I could do with it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just com- completely beyond anything I ever imagined. I mean, is that, is that, maybe that's not true for you. I'm just stupid, maybe. <laughs> I don't find it true. I had a very strong vision associated with what computers would be like. And honestly, through to my twenties, I was disappointed. I was disappointed. And maybe you need to fill your wine glass. Tom. No, no, I've got a water glass <laughs> beside me. It's, it's just very hot here, and I decided I came home late, and I decided not to turn on the air conditioner. Now, however, in my you know late thirties, computers are at the stage that I were anticipating they would be when I was in my early twenties, uh, and I feel kind of comfortable yeah. about that. I mean, I think the stuff that I am interested in doing. The computers have gotten now to a, a point where I can start exploring some of those areas. Yeah. But it's well, see, time I have that same, as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, time is the critical factor here. Yeah. And well, I mean, I quit electronic music yeah. because I could see that I, I couldn't see how I was going to be able to do what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, I thought, you know, yeah, if I could do this, if I could do that, that would be cool, you know. And I looked at what was actually there. Of course, I didn't really, this was in the very beginning, so the, the, the rapid pace of change wasn't, wasn't obvious at that time. Yeah. You know, it wasn't clear that it was going to get better real fast. You know, it just seemed hopeless to me at the time. But within like five years of, of giving up on that, I, I saw that they'd already gone past what I was hoping for. <laughs> you know, so. I don't know. So I, I just, I'm not going to give up on my dream of real 3D, but I mean, I, I understand it's really problem. I, well, there's no way around it except that each eye has to get a separate image. I mean, the question is, how do you do that? No, I think what we talked about associated. So imagine a block of glass that was a foot by a foot by a foot. Yeah, but that's not a monitor. That I'm, I'm talking about a flat screen that that I can work with. Well, man, you uh, know, you just yeah. you impose so many constraints well, of course, here, that's Aaron. What, yes, of course. <laughs> the way technology doesn't. I mean, technology. Well, I don't need a foot by a foot way. cube. No, no, but I mean, my, humans work in c- certain ways. I mean, a big glass cube on my desk is. Uh, well, I show, if I saw it operating, maybe maybe that might be useful. But that doesn't like strike me as any real advancement, even if it does 3D. No, I don't I, know. It strikes me as a very strong advancement if it does 3D. Well, well, then, well, yeah, but I don't see it as a replacement for a screen. I'll just put that way. That's an add-on. You're right, and that would be awesome. That would be awesome, but it's not a replacement for my uh, computer operating system screen. But it could be. Uh, well, if in it the could, future, one by given one, a better by operating one, system, one foot cube of glass. Yeah. I don't, I'm okay, let me think, a one-foot cube. I don't think I'd like watching movies on a one-foot cube. Well, that's because you anticipate that the glass is going to be transparent through that experience. Imagine if it wasn't transparent. Imagine if it created a kind of amphitheater-like experience where the movie was the internals, but perhaps the cube of glass wasn't, either the cube of glass might be contained within something, or the cube of glass basically blocked, you know, it wasn't completely transparent all the way through all the time. Well, I don't know. It just seems small to me. I, I'm thinking I can really only pay attention to one surface at a time. So I'm talking about a, a 12 by 12 inch screen or portal or whatever you want you to call 12, it. That's yes. Well, okay. So th- that that strikes me as really limiting. Okay. Well, let's let's assume that it's three feet by three feet by three feet. Okay. All right. That's better. And but maybe now you've got a plastic. huge. 
rather than being a, a cube. Okay. So okay. it's still space okay. Yeah, but that's now we're talking about something that yeah, a huge, huge thing. But if that had depth within it, if you could look into it and actually see yeah. depth in the entities that existed, you, within no, you're that right. That would be a cool thing to have. Yeah. But again, see, I'm thinking. Well, okay. I'm I'm still thinking in old terms, like I've got a computer, I've got a screen. Mm. That's how I interact with everything. Once in a while, I mean, the 3D thing strikes me as, I mean, really sort of trivial, really, because... So imagine this kind of environment. <laughs> imagine you had an iPad, a relatively large iPad, larger than you have currently. But by looking through the iPad and moving around the environment, you looked into a virtual world. Mm-hmm. Like looking through interact. a window, you're talking Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you right. could potentially have something on your hand where if you move ah. your hand behind the iPad, you could see your hand there in the environment and you could interact with things. <laughs> yeah, sure. And the yeah. iPad was yeah. your means of doing that. Yeah, yeah. You see, I saw a technology like yeah, that. But then you got to hold, and, the, and of course the way you would do it would be to hold the iPad. Well then, see, now you might as well just get a head-mounted monitor because that's what you're really, what we're really talking about here. Well, that's so what I want to do is take well. my iPad yeah. and make a frame for it and mount it one inch in front of my nose. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we're back to headsets then, which which really makes sense. Obviously, yeah. that's that maybe that may be what we're stuck with. But maybe we could do it with just a. I mean, yeah. Instead of those big huge things, so you can get it down to some reasonable size. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Then we don't need any monitors at all. Yeah. There are a number of ways of approaching this, and I think all of them, unfortunately, it's very difficult to create. I mean, even if you look at things like the iPhone, they're all clearly based on something previously. It may not have been, you know, of a composite of, you know, the elements yeah. of the iPhone, but at least the technology existed previously to be sure, built. Sure, so, yeah, ad- adapting and yeah. changing and, yeah, sure. Do you have yeah. another topic or? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, actually. Okay. I've got, uh, <laughs> actually a bunch of them. <laughs> Do you want to get your, it's, it's about the wine glass filling point for you. Is it? You know, uh, how drunk did, do you think I was last time we talked? Was it showing in the way I was talking? No, not really. I mean, I knew I, you had, I, I could know. barely stand up. <laughs> I had to sit, I started to stand up and I thought, no, oh, I think I'll sit down. <laughs> well, if you want to, if you want to moderate your wine glasses with water glasses, is every other, I, I'm happy running with that hair and it's Well, I mean, it's just funny, you know, because I, I don't feel like I'm getting drunk. Mm. You know, it's, it's funny. I mean, I sit here and I, I didn't, you know, I feel, I don't feel much different than I, you know, it doesn't do anything to me, apparently. Yeah. But, uh, but when I tried to stand up, <laughs> You know, but you did have a circumstance where I think you drank your glass under 10 minutes and then you went to get another one almost immediately. And I just thought that's a very short period of time. Uh, Yeah, it could be. I think I had a lot more last week than I normally do. No, we recorded for longer, which is part of it. Well, but that, well, for whatever. Yeah. yeah, So (laughs) this is the only time, you know, really, I talked with, um, oh shit. Lorraine? No, no, no. No, it doesn't mean yours. Anyway. And, and he knew that we weren't, um, weren't talking or, to, uh, that night. It was last Friday. Yeah. You know, and so he said, listen, if you want to talk, let's talk. So I did. And he suggested, you want to get your wine glass? I said, no, I only do that with Tom. Fuck <laughs> <You> yeah. <know? laughs> and 
There's a week I'm gonna get plastered with Tom. Like no two one hours, <laughs> you know. And uh, yeah, and I'm not getting my... plastered with just anyone like, I can't remember. That's you know? right. You're my excuse. <laughs> Very good to to get drunk. Very you know, good. it's it's cool. So uh, thanks for the uh, invitation, and I am gonna go fill it now. Very good. So <laughs> first, first glass out of a out of a new keg. Wow. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I, I say actually I have a couple other things. Okay. Too. Uh, there, there's just simple observation. One of them is a guy named Lex Watson, mm-hmm. who uh, was the guy who gave me my first Macintosh. Oh, this guy. Okay. Uh, you, have we talked about him before? Uh, or that circumstances it, it, about? Did he ran? He he had what the, the was the printer for poetry. No, no. Well, he had he had. But again, this was in October of '83. Yeah, okay. this is before anyone ever even heard of the Macintosh. Certainly. There was a a thing called the Computer Poet, yes. which it was in a kiosk that went into um, stationery stores. Yeah, and and basically it had a Macintosh inside. You couldn't see the Mac; all you could see was the screen, and then the keyboard was out there, and it asked you questions. You know, is this a birthday or an anniversary or what? And then it would ask you questions, names, and and then it would compose this awful poetry and <laughs> and print it out on an image writer printer. The very first, and that's what killed it because the fucking thing jammed all the time. All and the time, the, the people in the store were just fucking tired of unjamming yeah. the fucking printer. You know, so it just failed miserably. Anyway, he was, he had like four Macintoshes in, in the trunk of his car yeah. that went in these kiosks. And I met him at a, at a, um, a restaurant. It was Coco's. As it should be. Um, hmm? As it should be. Coco's oh, yes. was your alma mater, wasn't it? Or well, Mimi's. Well, no, Mimi's. It's okay. interesting. There's Mimi's, Coco's, Dodo's, uh, whatever, you know. Yes. But uh, anyway, Coco's is another chain Certainly. of nice sort of semi-restaurants. Uh, anyway, I met this guy sitting at the counter for breakfast one morning, and we talked for like half an hour, and, and when he left, he said, why don't you come out to my car for a minute? I want to, I want to give you something. <laughs> That was it. I mean, I had to give it back to him. I didn't own it. Yeah. But, but uh, I had it for like more than a year. And I and just because I happened to be there and he happened to be there at that moment, my whole life was transformed yes. by, by that. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I hadn't met him or if he hadn't made that offer, who knows where I would be today? I have no idea. I'm sure it would be vastly different than it is, though. Did you keep in contact with him? No, I didn't. We did for like a year or two, and then he, he somehow disappeared. And I, and I, I occasionally I'm looking for him because I really would love to thank him. Yes. It he's, he was considerably older than me, so oh, interesting. So he's probably dead. Yeah. <laughs> but and I've looked, I've looked for him. There are like apparently three thousand people with. The name Alex or Alexis or Lex Watson. But on here's Facebook. the thing. Here's the thing, Heron. I, when we first had this conversation four years ago, I actually looked up the computer poet, uh-huh. and there are a couple of web pages devoted to it. Oh, really? So there's actual information online about this. Oh, thing. I never even thought of looking and for it. My suspicion is through that. I mean, obviously, if someone puts together a web page, they probably have more information, or maybe they just put everything they know online. But yeah, that would probably be a good source to get in contact well, with Lex. Watson. Oh no, no, he or, had nothing. To, no, he had nothing to do with the company that m- made this stuff. He was he was a sales rep for some company that sold shit to um, to stationery stores. He sold all sorts of shit. That mm. was just one of the things he sold. 
But no, he he had no connection with those people at well, all. Well, aside from the fact that he had a, a bootload of them. I mean, yeah, he must have yeah. been, he must have, in within the sales community, he mm-hmm. must, I mean, I can't imagine that there were, you know, even 5,000 of these things out there. I think there might have been test beds and you were Oh, probably, yeah, I can't, yeah. yeah, I'm amazed at the whole situation, yeah. you know, that, that all this was happening. <laughs> I mean, my suspicion is probably Southern California, Northern California, and maybe New York would get this kind of thing. I don't imagine yeah. that, you know, Louisville, yeah, Kentucky yeah. had computer well, poets. No, I can't imagine. Well, I can't. The whole idea was so silly. I mean, again, in, investing all that money in it and putting a printer in there that jams every 30 seconds yeah. and then going ahead with it? What the fuck are they thinking? I mean, Jesus. <laughs> no wonder it's not around anymore. Yes. Seriously, that's that's really... Well, that's one of the mysteries about uh, capitalism and the world of business and shit. I just don't get it. You know, people come up with this crazy shit and don't think anything through, apparently, and they put tons of money into it, and then it fails, and they go, oh, it... What is it? Something like eighty percent of businesses fail it's within high two years it's, or it's, something. It's like nine out of ten, it's ninety yeah. percent plus. Yeah. Well, could have been a fun, I, I, that shouldn't you know. surprise. For what? I don't know. Cocaine. <laughs> they were filling the Macintoshes yeah. with cocaine. That would be a great story. Yes. And you gave it back <laughs> after a year and a half, Aaron. I should have looked inside. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Aaron. Uh, anyway, it's just, it strikes me how these things that at the time, you know, you have no idea what, what is actually, you know, how important something is. Yeah. I walked out with him, we looked in there and I thought, I thought it was cool. Actually, I mean, I was excited about it. I thought, but yeah. Did you experienced any computers previously? No. Well, I took one course in basic in college, hmm. you know, and we, you know, wrote <laughs> basic programs on terminals. You know, because the college had a mainframe computer yeah. that had, I think, like 32K of RAM. Wow. Hardcore. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, that was my experience with computing. No, I was not at all into computers at all. You know, yeah. I had no interest in them whatsoever. But Mac Wright changed my life. Because I'd been trying to write stuff and doing – because I was still – I was already, you know, a brain-damaged uh, agent of evolution at this point. Mm. So uh, I was still producing material and, you know, that meant typewriters. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so all of a sudden now, uh, yeah, yeah, word processing, that changed my life. Yeah. Four, I think I could get seven pages of text before the disk was full. That doesn't seem right. No, that is right. I The floppy disk? Yeah, 400K. Because remember, it had the si- I, I didn't have an external drive. I oh, had, I see what oh, you're saying. Oh, okay. had the system and the application on yeah. it. Yeah. And, and all together, that left me seven pages of text. Mm, that still <laughs> doesn't seem right. Well, that was my experience. Okay. So I don't know what to tell you. But, yeah. but and whatever it is, I mean, when I look at it now and, and think, I mean, that was it, Mac Wright and Mac Paint. Yeah. It was nothing else. I mean, other stuff began to show up, but on what I had. But that was that was life transforming for yes. me. You know, just the, the, the whole that whole way of interacting with text as opposed to a typewriter. Yeah. You know, stuff you can copy it and move it around and do shit like that. That just blew me away. <laughs> 
Yes. It still does. You know, every time I print something out of my printer, I'm still blown away by it. <laughs> I just still think, Jesus, that is so awesome. You just make this shit up and out it comes on a piece of paper. <laughs> yes, it's official. Well, I don't know what it is. Well, it's an interaction between these two worlds, between Squish and the Matrix. Ah, maybe that's what it is. Yes. Okay. So anyway, I just I just felt the need to talk about that because, I mean, I think probably all of our lives, there are these points that, that make a huge difference, and we may not even notice them. <laughs> well, we do, though, I think. Well, afterwards. Yes. 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 We, I certainly wasn't aware. I mean, as I took that thing home, I was excited. I was, I was thinking it was going to be fun, you know, but I d- didn't have any idea of how much. Well, like the iPad. I mean, when I got my iPad, the first one, I, I thought, yeah, this is cool. I, I waited for a long time. And, but, you know, after a couple of days with it, I realized that that really changed the way I think about computing and the whole, the whole idea of interacting with data. It's just a whole, whole different thing for me. I don't know. Do you feel that way? Well, I did have a topic this evening along these lines, but I'm wondering whether I should clean you out of topics first or whether we should get into this kind of deep dive. Um, so, well, let me, let me throw in, um, another one. Then, okay. And then we can go any direction we want. Certainly. Uh, it was just this idea that we're losing uh, customers. <laughs> oh, no, this is interesting. So I think the phenomenon is that the Facebook group, for whatever reason, has a few dominant posters that I think are moving people out. <laughs> and I also think that... Really? Yeah, I think this is kind of... It's interesting. Well, they probably don't need to be here then. <laughs> well... I think Stone Ape is a unique thing. I think the way in which people choose to interact with it and how they choose to come on board is a unique thing. And I can't go by what has gone on with Biota or Model Rail Radio. No, or those, Eight. those actually have a subject. Yeah. But if I can wander into this topic, I'm actually losing faith with Facebook. I actually think... Well, wait a minute. This, Listen, you're yeah. going off in a hole. Let me say what I had to say. You Certainly. asked me about what I wanted to talk about. Clearly. And, and what, so I have some thoughts on this. Enlighten me. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's going to enlighten you, but I'll share my thoughts with you on it. Certainly. Is that you and I are here basically because it's fun for us. Yes. And we have no fucking commitment to the listeners. We're not trying to put on a thing to entertain them. And, um, and that's the difference between the ones that are successful because they put in a lot of time and effort structuring those sh- shows. And that's what they are. They're shows. Who are you talking about here specifically? Any, anybody who's, uh, anyone who's up under in the top 10 of anything. Oh, okay. Oh, you're talking about like the podcast ranking. Yeah. So, for right. example, our yeah. friend KMO. Well, I'd say anybody who's made it in the top ten. Well, he's number seven. Yeah. Okay. So, anyone who's doing that it, is taking this shit way more seriously and putting a lot more time in it than you and I are putting in this. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, you're, but then I am putting in. Yeah. This. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I don't want to shortchange what you're doing because you're the one who's doing it. But again, we don't, I don't think, I'm amazed that anybody comes here at all. Well, let me, let me I mean, if, I, if I'm me, allowed to give my, unless you want to finish. Well, I just, I just want to be done with what I had to say. Okay. I don't know what I was saying. If, if we, you know, like model rail railway or whatever the hell it's called or you know, anything out there has got a subject that they, that they do. 
that they are identified with. And I think as long, like I say, I like what we're doing, but I, I think it's, if it doesn't have a subject that people can say, oh, that's, you know, the whatever cast or, but just, it's just two guys who, one of whom gets drunk and shoots off his mouth and the other guy who is the ringmaster. <laughs> you know? I mean, having listened to probably 80 episodes of the Sea Realm podcast, KMO's audience is a very well-defined and relatively specific group of people. Right. And I think KMO has been highly successful tailoring his podcast to that group of people. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. However, I feel probably about 60% of KMO's content isn't not even specifically tailored to me, but isn't even really talking to me. No, he doesn't. Anyway. Quite, of course, you're not in that group. However, <laughs> you know, so this is something I, I have been thinking about. KMO's listeners give money to KMO. Some of them, yeah. And the financial relationship creates a different kind of bond. Yeah, but I, you're right. That That's really a separate issue, I think. I no, mean, I, I agree with... I think it's actually the show's start, and I've been thinking about this critically with a number of podcasts that I listen to. The show's start with KMO thanking the listeners that have given donations yeah. to his podcast. Yeah. Every episode. Yeah, he's got a format, a way of... Yeah, he does the same thing. Again, it's a show. Yeah. Now... It's designed to do what it does and for him to make a living at it. Yes. I think the Stone Ape listener seems to me to be from... Well, although we've gained a number of listeners through KMO, and in fact every interaction that I have with KMO over him coming and talking on Stone Ape or me going and talking on the Sea Realm or us, you know, getting together and talking in Squish or all this kind of stuff does encourage folks to come and listen. But I think there's a distinctly different audience that is probably drawn to Stone Ape if they have the opportunity to discover it. And yeah, I, the question is, well, see, I don't think it's an identifiable. I think you're right. There are a number of people that will really like this, but I don't think you can find they, they have anything in common that we can tap into. Well, aside from the fact that they like listening to this. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. But if you can't correlate that with something, then what have you got? You, you, I mean, you can do anything. You can put any goddamn thing on here and somebody's going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> but if it's got some core concept that the whole thing is around, then I think you've got the potential to do something with it. I guess my concern here is that I don't feel the Stone Ape Facebook group represents our listeners. No, it, it probably doesn't. Yeah. Some listeners. Some of them. Yeah, the ones who are on Facebook. And, and it out. represents, but no, but some of our listeners on Facebook have actually left the Stone Ape Facebook group, but I would yeah. presume they continue to listen to this audio. And I think there's... Why issue, would you presume that? Oh, uh, because some have contacted me. Okay. All right. And yeah. I think this, the phenomena well, of the Stone they, Ape... The, you say there are some people who post there that they don't like, and they don't like what they're writing, so they've quit, so they don't have to read that shit. I think it's a very... <laughs> it's a very interesting group of folk who are currently... And the thing that struck me about this was that... Things are attributed to me through that group that... Through what group? Through the Stone Ape Facebook group. Oh, okay. Well, if we can delve into my views associated with Facebook now, we yeah, might be sure. able to actually yeah. return to this yeah. topic. No, and, well, and whatever. I, I've had yeah. my say, so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
over the past couple of weeks, I've been heavily involved in this whole moving out, moving in, cleaning up, really for more than a month now. Yes, tearing out fish ponds. Carpets and yeah. repainting yeah. and then re-repainting and then, you know, working with the tenants to get their place better and this kind of stuff. And a wide variety of gas leaks and electrical stuff and yeah, a yeah. wide variety. And you ain't seen nothing yet. Well, I do. I mean, I have lived in a <laughs> house previously. Get, uh, listen, once you get, no, I'm just saying once you get moved in yeah. and start nosing around, <laughs> you're probably going to find all sorts of interesting projects. Uh, the thing about it is that it's an old house that is that is eccentric by its nature. Anyway, I come home typically, you know, late in the evening and I realize actually that this thing called Facebook now doesn't represent anything for me. You know, what strikes me is, of course, Facebook isn't there to represent anything. It's you who's going to do the representing, not Facebook. Well, <laughs> in parallel to this, and this is kind of, it's an interesting topic because it's a, it's a kind of nerd pursuit that I've never really had a lot of time for. I've had some precursory interest in it, but I've discovered over a similar time period through subscription, Ancestry.com. Which for me has been a very strange interaction, almost like a social network. But it's about knowns and unknowns fundamentally, and a large part of it is about data science. And it's about reconstructing information and lack of information and then filling in the blanks. It's not necessarily self-serving because actually it's quite a curious set of stories. But at every generation, I'm finding new narratives that I have never known previously. In fact, I'm basically excavating based on a DNA sample and a variety of different factors. Quite a curious set of histories which I've never had access to before. In fact, it's there because this database exists, yeah. plus some DNA, plus Wikipedia, plus a wide variety yeah, of external sources. New and also world. Tens of thousands of people who are absolutely obsessed about genealogy that are put in their own yeah. kind of familial relationships. And the thing that strikes me through that is that there's a lot of deep history. I've gone back to 610 along one route. But there's a lot of really strange mythology as well. It's a combination of kind of data science, mythology, and these kind of things along a very interesting path where immediately now I have a very interesting and curious narrative history, which I'm planning on actually putting... I'm planning on actually only having a monthly membership one, one month a year and doing this annually for a period of time because it's so completely overwhelming in terms of the sheer amount of data. And this is from a perspective where really I didn't have any knowledge of my family history. In fact, though, even those that know about the family history along either of my parents' lines really don't have a deep understanding. Yeah. And I have now come to a point of expertise in a very curious but short fashion. In contrast to this, two things caught me, but this is basically the dominant narrative when I log into Facebook, and I think this is something which requires me to restructure my interaction with Facebook and probably remove a vast quantity of quote-unquote friends in order to try and change my relationship. Although, mm. the two stories I'm going to give you... How are uh, useless friends a problem? I've got you know, 500 and something friends. I don't yeah. know how. You know, probably 300 of them. I don't even have a clue who the hell they are. Yes. 
I guess my concern here is that the two narratives I'm going to give, uh, one is a biological relative of mine, and the other is someone who I knew at high school, but someone who has been in correspondence and kind of came and met me when I was in Adelaide, South Australia. And these two (coughs) represent a kind of chain that exists through my interaction with Facebook that I think I need to rewrite. In parallel to this as well, I've also been thinking very critically associated with the organizations and just general things that I belong to, because I'm not feeling a degree of personal fulfillment through a number of aspects of my life. But the artificial life community is a thing, particularly the academic artificial life community. I think it's about time I just drop that shit. (laughs) But through through the model rail community. Yeah, you don't really need that, you know. It's not part of my life. Yeah, yeah. And you don't need it. You know, I mean, everything's already there. It's just about inventing it somehow. So a couple of model rail radios ago, we had on a fellow who actually runs quite a successful company that makes electronic controllers for model trains. And he said that he sees the model rail hobby growing at 7% annually. (laughs) Growing. Not shrinking, but growing. 7%. Well, he may be fucking nuts, too. Well, except his numbers are far closer to my experience of model rail radio than anyone else that I've spoken to. Yeah, he may be right, too. Yeah. In contrast to this, there is the National Model Rail Association that has a president that sends out a monthly, well, actually, it's a bi-monthly newsletter. And this guy is nuts. I mean, he is completely off the wall nuts. I've met him in person (laughs) once, but he basically writes these doom and gloom accounts. And the most recent one was associated (laughs) with millennials. And millennials refers to people that were born from the 1980s through to 2000. Okay. It's like an age demographic. Yeah. And I posted on the Model Rail Radio Facebook group about a a week or so ago, associated with this group of millennials, because I actually found what the fellow wrote quite offensive. He says a variety of things. He says that basically the Model Rail community has no business being online. It has no (laughs) business being on Facebook. It has no business, you know, interacting electronically. And he says that these things are basically vacuum chambers. Wait a minute, where are we going? I thought we were talking... What are, what are we talking circle. about? Okay, all right. You're actually in control yeah. of this rant. Let me, okay. Let me, let me, all right. All right. All right. Okay. I would. I got, I'm getting lost. Here. Trust her. Okay. Do you need to refill your wine glass? I think it's. Uh, no, no. No. I'm not even close. You're not even close. You were talking a lot for the last twenty minutes. That's why the wine. That's glass. right. I, if yeah. I just shut the fuck up, <laughs> then I could shut up and sip, Aaron. Drink, Aaron. <laughs> skull. Skull. Anyway, so. He had this long rant, which I've actually got in front of me, although in reading it back, I don't see any merit in referring to any of it. The one thing that he does predict is that there will be a group of post-millennials, i.e. people who come after the children of the millennials, that will be so disgusted with their parents that they will return to things like model railroading, but a variety ah, of other yeah. hobbies. Ah, there's a, that's hopeful. So my <laughs> perspective with regards to this is every generation, or particularly every aging generation, has a relatively negative view associated with the... the yeah, yeah know, everybody sees that it's all a bunch of fucking lies. Yeah. Bullshit. But I posted, I posted this on the, on the Model Rail Radio Facebook group, and a number of people through that community who I respect, including uh, the fellow who was 
captured by the Viet Cong, who's a biology professor, actually posted up and said, yes, there's something distinctly different with this millennial generation. And they are people who are basically vacuous, have little interest in, you know, deeper discussion, and that it's a different and somewhat destructive generation. Now, as I've talked about previously, my only experience with this generation has come through Facebook interaction. In my family, I have probably half a dozen millennials because I'm the eldest the eldest child of, you know, two generations by at least seven years. And then there yeah. are my brothers and then there are another few years and yeah, so variety. You, yeah. So I'm the eldest by a generation of these people. And my youngest cousin posted on Facebook a few, couple of days ago that she had gotten a new Mac and she, for whatever reason, didn't understand that when you emptied the trash on the Mac... Oh, I think I saw that through That it deleted yeah. the files. Yeah, well, what did she think it did? <laughs> this is where it gets very, very curious. So I thought to myself... Well, she just needs some education. She obviously just doesn't know anything about computers. She's well, lost. What's interesting... Well, the millennial generation is supposed to know about computers. Not well, but no, nah, fuck that. She's her. There are plenty of people who are off the curve some way or another. Uh, you know, she missed that day. <laughs> yeah. So... I thought to myself, how do I interact with this person? Because I could actually be of assistance. So the first yeah. thing I did was I posted to this post, which was a series of her buddies basically saying, liking this, you know, Max clearly are crazy because they delete your files without <laughs> warning you. Um, and I posted to this thing about how you can get the Mac to actually give you a warning prior to deleting the files. Well, actually, it comes that way, I believe. Well, that's what I thought, yeah. too. Yeah, anyway. it's a default. In so I posted that, and she said, well, this is no use to me. Ha ha. And I thought, okay. <laughs> okay, now, see, now I would, that would be the end of it. <laughs> here's, here's my choice. Yeah. I can either be like Charlie Getz, the NMRA president, and just be like, fuck the millennials. Yeah. You know, this is just the way they behave. No, no it's it, not a millennial. It's your fucking cousin or somebody. Well, oh, it's a person. It's a, this demographic. Well, no, it's not. That's just an abstraction. It's, it's a person who you could help if you want to, if you want to put in the time, if you think she's worth it, uh, or not. I agree. Whether she's a millennial. I agree. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing into the, perception of this group of people anyway so i did help her i spent 20 minutes through facebook chat explaining to her how she could find out what was going wrong with her computer it turned out that she bought it second hand and the student she bought it from had installed a cad package and part of the cad package was to preview files which meant the cad file previewer was still on her computer taking up processing clock cycles and no. creating these beach balls I solved her problem for her in about 20 minutes, and she said, thank you. Yeah, but that's not that's separate from this issue of the trash can. I mean, yes. I mean, the issue is she she needs somebody who knows, you know, who could spend a couple hours and just show her how the fuck computers work. I recommend that she, or even though she said in a very negative light that, you know, her next step was going to the Apple store. I recommended to her to actually do that because I think independent of my 20 minutes, yeah. she's not getting what she could be getting out of her computer and she probably yeah. needs that kind of interaction. Yeah. And, and yeah, it could make a big difference. 
Or she could just go on being the fucking unconscious language monkey. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, you know, you at least try to intervene. You know? In the last six months of my grandmother's life, my grandmother noted that this cousin was by far the smartest of our generation, which is another interaction. The one is, you're just talking about. Yes. Okay. Well, she may be really good at literary stuff, you know, or, you know, she just may be technically challenged. Could, could quite well be. Yeah. Potentially so. The second interaction, and these Facebook things were literally post after post, was associated with a woman who I knew as a teenage girl. We both went to high school together, and we shared a number of mutual friends, but we didn't really connect in high school. But when she joined Facebook, she started following me, and I actually have a number of of high school friends who are like this. And when I went to South Australia, I was supposed to get together with a group of people, and she was the only person who showed up. So we had a long talk there, and I sent her a copy of Field of Chaos, and we stayed in contact. Last year sometime, her abusive boyfriend contacted me, and through a couple of posts, realised that I was not romantically interested in her. She was someone who was a high school friend who I kept in contact with and sent a copy of my book to. And then she had an interaction with me and I said, look, clearly this wasn't you posting because the boyfriend was posing as her. I said, you know, and he said, she said, he's my ex-boyfriend, don't worry about it. I said, I'm not worried about it. For the past week, there has been an ongoing discussion of the physical violence and restraining orders that she's put out against this man. And for me, I grew up in a very intellectually, but also quite physically violent environment. It's a background that I don't talk about particularly, but it's something that was just ingrained in my childhood. And when my father left, my mother was less physically violent, but she certainly wasn't an emotionally stable person to be around. And I feel very strongly that people with children who are in that kind of environment that continue to stay in that environment are a serious question mark in kind of my general perspective. I know we have a number of quite strong feminist listeners, uh, Lorraine in particular, who I haven't had the opportunity to talk with. And I know it's an interesting kind of grey area, but at some level we have to come to a point where people leave conditions of domestic violence. And through reading these posts and reading these accounts and also realising that a year ago, more than a year ago, when I had this correspondence with this fellow, it was clear that there was something really fundamentally unhinged. I just realised that Facebook as a blueprint, as a means of these people emotionally reaching me, <laughs> is not only is it taxing, it's counterproductive. And it's a huge time sink in my life. Yeah. See, I don't, I'm trying to figure out... I've, I, yeah, I just, I can't relate to any of this. Hmm. I just have no, I, you know, I've had, actually on Facebook, I haven't had any problems. I, I had some problems on TalkShoe. Hmm. <laughs> Clearly. But, you know, on Facebook, uh, people, I've been unfriended, hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, you post the same thing over and over and over again, Heron. Well, yeah. I mean, your, I Facebook graph is, your, your Facebook game is pretty primitive. Well, well, actually, I think you're not seeing it all then. You're seeing a part of it. Yeah, there's some things I just post over and over and over again. But I, po- I post all sorts of other shit that I just randomly run into sure. that I think is cool. It's a bit you know? like, it's a bit like um, in music, you know, there's a kind of dominant theme and then there's variations. And your dominant theme is very dominant. Oh, yeah, damn right. Yeah. That's what I'm there to do. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm there. I don't give a shit whether I have any fucking friends. I mean, that I can go out and have a pizza with. Yes. I'm there to put ideas into the world. Yeah. So, yeah. 
But I do try to keep it interesting. Yeah. With some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, anyway, I just, I, I haven't had, I mean, to me, it's never been a time sink in that, in the sense of deal. I just don't deal with people I don't want to deal with. It's just that simple. Yes. I guess for me, I have probably three times the number of friends that you have, including the kind of constant drone of model railroaders. Yeah. And I have known, I mean, there's a fellow on YouTube who does model yeah. railroading videos who basically unfriended almost everyone intentionally <laughs> because he was just done with it. Yeah. And I think I probably need to do the same. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you get too much noise in your life from people you don't give a shit about, then it's time to get rid of them. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but in these two cases, particularly because both these individuals are either currently or could potentially become Stone Ape listeners, I will say that my intention is to maintain maintain my Facebook connection with these two people, but probably just look at how this interaction can probably change. I was successfully able to do this. My father's third wife had four children, and I maintained a Facebook friendship with three of the children, the ones that contacted me and befriended me, but I have just been able to dial down, or historically I was able mm. to dial down their content. See, you know, I think uh, what it is is I don't, just anyone I've met online, unless I've had, ex, you know, really extensive uh, mm. texting with them over a period of months or even years, mm. I don't consider them friends at all. Mm. They're just some people who have I've had some communications with uh, that were kind of interesting. Until I talk to somebody, like I say, th this is maybe a, just a, a, a quirk of mine, mm. but, you know, we've been over this before. If I can't talk with somebody, I don't think I have a clue who the hell they are. Yeah. Well, strangely, I've never actually met this cousin, but I have met this other woman with the domestic yeah. violence situation. No, but you haven't talked to either one of them? I mean, oh, it's no, all been done on text? I've talked to my cousin for about six minutes last year. Maybe okay. no more than that. So Maybe about 20 minutes. Okay. Oh, that helps. I mean, that, yeah. that definitely helps. But you're saying, but again, these are dominantly text exchanges and there's a there's a phenomena associated with my family which probably continues to isolate me from them which is that as a general rule they just don't have a fucking clue who i am like a really <laughs> yeah, uh, really yeah, right, strange yeah. like yeah. i am more distant from these people yeah. than people i meet occasionally yeah. you know no i understand exactly that's the way i was i yes. it, it was explainable for me because i was adopted yeah but but yeah i i I didn't realize what that was, but yeah, those people, it's completely foreign to me. Yes. They had no idea what, what the hell was going on in my head. Yeah. <laughs> Which is strange because actually with the majority of my family, I'm relatively good at knowing what's going on in their lives. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lack of parity basically in the interactions, which just, I don't know, as I get older, seems more curious and less important. But certainly through, you know, the time that I was in Australia and even going back periodically, I mean, I've been back twice. There have been these interactions where I've just been left speechless. <laughs> yeah. How do I yeah. begin to explain? No, you know, see, that's why I became a hermit. It's just, it's just not, you know, because I've been through this. I've done this. It's just no thank you. I'm not yeah. going to put myself in these situations anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no thanks. One of the topics that we've talked about periodically is the threat of physical violence. And I found myself last Tuesday 
in a circumstance where I was being physically threatened. Mm. I realize now that it's relatively rare in my adult life, even though I've lived in, to paraphrase my mother, the evil US where guns are aplenty. And it strikes me as perhaps psychological that I don't acknowledge potentially the danger in the environments that I get into. But here's the story for the listeners. I opened, we, I was working from home um, in order to get some stuff done and I think I needed to go and get boxes at lunchtime or something like that. And this fellow turned up at the door at about one with this knife in his hand, demanding that Eric come out. And I looked at this fellow and he... This was in your new place or in your old place? This is my old place. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I realized that he was a fellow who had harassed my wife previously in his car. And I said, he said, get Eric out here or something like that. And I said, there's no one called Eric here. I'm the only man who lives here. And looked at him very slowly. And he backed away at this point. I think he was looking for a fight. I'm realizing that he had no fight with me. You're a pretty big guy too, aren't you? I'm very, very menacing when I need to be. (laughs) Isn't that always helpful? It's a nice thing to be able to do. And also, (laughs) I'm someone who, although I could be unlucky, has successfully disarmed someone who has brandished a knife at me previously and done some pretty serious damage to the person. So I'm not particularly frightened by guys who turn up with with knives, (laughs) four-inch blades. It's just not something that particularly scares me. Also, we live on the second floor, and my first reaction was with a swift punch or a kick, I would have knocked him down to the ground. Off the rail. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think he realized that he was in the wrong position to be making <laughs> any kinds of threats. Because yeah. he looked behind himself pretty swiftly because he could see me looking behind him. Yeah. <laughs> what happened after this was particularly curious. So about an hour or two later. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So he just. I shut the door on him. He shut that, that, and that was the end of it. Okay. Now, my wife was in the shower at the time, and I felt particularly defensive because if this guy was coming in with a knife, my wife was in here showering, and I didn't want any kind of interaction where this would, you know, be in her presence. So I shut the door, and I wandered away, and I said to her, there was this guy at the door with a knife. I was kind of curious and went back to working. (laughs) Kind of curious, yes. And there was a ringing at the door. Oh, he said... Bring him out. I said, I I missed a bit of the story. I'm sorry. He pointed out that the guy was wearing a white T-shirt. This Eric guy that he was looking at. Yeah. Or looking for. And so, hour goes past. UPS guy arrives with a heavy box. Door swings open. There's a guy out standing on my stoop with a white (laughs) T-shirt. Now, the UPS guy I heard coming, and he's basically laboring with the package up the stairs. I turned to this guy and I said, are you Eric? And he said, yes, I'm Eric. And I said, there was this guy about an hour ago with a knife looking for you. You're bloody lucky that you weren't here then. And he said, oh, I owe this guy money. I told him to come to uh, your apartment. And I said, okay, you're very lucky. Thanks a lot. (laughs) He said, I gave him 600 bucks, but he wanted another 300. I said, okay, the UPS guy got the fuck out of Dodge. (laughs) Here's your package you don't need to sign. I said, I pulled the package inside and shut the door. (laughs) 
My wife now doing something else. I said, I've just met Eric. <laughs> he what the, the guy hell money. was he doing there? So, well, you don't know. You didn't ask Oh, him. no, no, no. I Actually, while the package was being delivered, his mother arrived. His mother, I Eric's know. Eric's mother showed up. Eric, she lives in the apartment opposite us. Oh, okay. Oh, there's a hallway sort of. No, no. no, no it's open. It's all open. It. It's all well, open how it. could it be? Op- oh, it's on the other side of the open air thing. Yeah. You mean? Okay. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. This all seemed very curious to me, and my wife thought I was insane. <laughs> well, those are separate issues. Yes. <laughs> Independent variable. Exactly. That's why I said, and my wife thought I was insane. I thought, I've got to go downstairs and talk to someone about this. Because I can't have a gangland fight going no, on. No, no, we don't need stairs. people showing up at the front door with knives. That's not, no, no. The guy who owes him money out of our apartment. There's something a little bit fishy here. Went down, talked to the front office, and the front office is like, oh, yes, let's tell what happened. So, the guy is, the guy with the knife, is a resident in the apartment complex. Eric, the night before, slashed the fellow's tires. And then when the police turned up, Eric ran off. But he told the fellow that he lived in apartment seven. (laughs) That's yours. Yes. For only a short period of time, which is why I'm willing to put the number out there. Because I ain't going to be here after that. Yeah, yeah. I said... So this resident turned up at my apartment with a knife and threatened me associated with this nonsense? This isn't acceptable. <laughs> if he wants to extract money out of people, there are ways and means to do this. Like, for example, the police, potentially. But he shouldn't be being a vigilante out here. I should also point out that after he'd done the whole knife business at my apartment, he went downstairs and screamed Eric for 30 minutes. <laughs> At the top of his lungs. Oh, God. Wandering backwards and forwards with the knife in his hand. See, and you think I'm just overdoing it when I keep saying language monkeys. Eric? (laughs) Well, the interesting thing is, to be fair on Eric, I think he is a sublinguistic language monkey. The interaction that I had with him... hasn't even gotten that far. Yeah, the interaction (laughs) I had with him was clear that the language concept was broken. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So, this story doesn't end here. The police showed up that evening... And arrested Eric. And the fellow who turned up the knife. No, no, no. Eric didn't have the knife. The the fellow in 23 had the knife and was coming to threaten Eric to get the money from Eric. Oh, Eric. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Right. Sorry. You got him. And the guy with the knife was strutting around like a rooster (laughs) in the front of the apartment complex, you know, working things out with the cops and just being whoever he was. (laughs) <laughs> an hour or so later as my wife pointed out a ukrainian couple turned up at the neighbor's place and apparently eric had slashed the ukrainian couple's car's tires as well eric seems to have a problem doesn't he yeah, <laughs> yeah. all very curious the complex will do nothing about the guy who turned up with a knife well what can they do they can evict him they oh, can, that guy. Oh, I see. Okay. They can the do a wide variety. We don't have a name for him, huh? No. Okay. I, I think I was given knife. his name at one stage. but yeah, Anyway, this yeah. is the guy with the knife. Okay. Yeah. And Eric. And I had a very curious discussion with the apartment complex following, associated with the notion that it was my responsibility to see that the guy with the knife was evicted. Well, it would be your responsibility to press charges against him. Well, that's interesting, you see, because this is the same apartment complex that has threatened to evict people based on fictional pet waste. They've sent <laughs> No, letters. I'm just saying, 
Anyway, yeah, I understand. It's You're expecting rationality. Yeah. It's my responsibility to tell the complex associated with this concept. It's the complex's responsibility to take action. Well, I'm not sure what they could do, though. What can they do? Um, well, my view is that when you have someone wandering around at the front of the building with a knife screaming out Eric for half an hour, and then you have all these uh, yeah, other yeah, I guess I guess it gets down to the legalities of how and why yes. you can evict people. Oh, I, so the I complex was very that. swift to say we are talking to our lawyers associated with these various events. Yeah, but yeah, because I don't. I mean, I can imagine that could turn into a, a really nasty legal bunch of bullshit trying to evict somebody. You well, know? the point that I made back to the complex was that if they felt physically threatened, which clearly they appeared to do... Oh, but you're the guy who was physically... I mean, why wouldn't you go to the police and press charges against the guy? That's a very interesting question. And it's a question that I've pondered at various points through this. I generally, and this is a very general rule, except when I have actually been physically beaten up i've never interacted with the police and i don't actually like interacting with no i would avoid it too i I don't know whether i would report it or not either yeah and if you really want something to happen though then you have to take responsibility for it except it then bifurcates in so many different it's a series then of bifurcations and it adds a complexity to your life Oh, yeah, right. Which yeah. is, yeah. It may not be worth it. Isn't yeah. that so walk away? Well, you're moving, too, so it's exactly. a lot easier to walk away. Yes. If you had to live there with the guy, that might be something different. Yeah. Although, I mean, truth be told, Eric was bailed out the next day, turned back up. I see him walking around periodically. His, potentially his father or his stepfather, spent about an hour talking with my wife on a different day. Uh-huh. I guess trying to ease up the circumstances. Yeah. But no one has made any outreach to me. And honestly, f- following this event, <laughs> about six hours following, it kind of dawned on me. It was slow to dawn on me the order of events. In particular, how passive, not necessarily passive, but how I was able to deal with the circumstances relatively rapidly. But if this fellow had been any more hyped up or thrown himself against the door or done a variety the, of things. The guy with the knife, you mean? Yes. Yeah. It would have ended very differently, I think. Oh, it could have been very ugly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So when well, I, yeah. Yeah. When I put this out on Facebook, I had a wide variety of responses, including the comment that people were thankful that they lived in Australia, and which point back I made was, <laughs> I confronted my first guy with a knife in Australia. I mean, yeah, that's what prepared me for this. Exactly. <laughs> The free knife fighting of the Australian, uh, you know, Australian continent enabled me to deal with the situation. The area that I'm moving to is a, what would appear to be, to the outside world, a considerably rougher neighbourhood than here, to use an Australian term. And the thing that interests me is the more time that I spend in that environment, the more that I realise that these people are actually considerably more community-oriented than this Are most of the people who live there the, the owners themselves, or are they renters? Uh, it's probably even evenly matched. But the people that do own are second and third generation owners. Yeah. They're people who have, who basically yeah, are living they're in the They're invested in the community. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great start, and man. When, when we moved in, a number took the time just literally seeing us arrive to come over and talk to us and to invite us over for food. Oh, great. To do all oh, these kind that's of things. so nice. Yes. Yeah, so nice. Yeah. Our tenants who are in their early to mid twenties 
have gone out of their way to be exceptionally nice to us. And I think in particular the husband, although, you know, I may with the wife too, I'm going to spend quite a bit of quality time talking with him because he is someone who I feel, you know, a great kinship with already. Having oh, talked good. To him. Yeah, this could be nice. And no, I'm really actually looking forward to it. It may actually cramp our style, Heron. I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> that my Friday nights may be pulled away from doing this on a, a but we'll, we'll find another night if we have to. Um, but no, I think the new environment, while it appears for this is the thing about this whole narrative in this country associated with you know the ghetto and the fact the area that we are moving to is on all sides part of uh, an area on the rise between us and vietnam town which is a described area or saigon town as some people call it there is actually a homeless encampment but the homeless encampment has been there for 30 years <laughs> and every yeah. friday and saturday and actually saturday through sunday families turn up there with food and they actually eat with the homeless folk okay so good they're integrated into the community yeah. as long as they keep their place and it's don't cause actually, any trouble yeah. <laughs> no i mean it's interesting because it's just a it's just a place you know yeah and you walk on a little bit and then you're in uh, Vietnam town, which just has some amazing. I mean, I was talking with a tenant. He goes and shops there now because he gets things like you know freshly killed duck, for example, for like ten bucks for a duck. Yeah, you know, and the f- quality of the food that is available just through the markets there is unlike anything that you can access in the area. Right now, if you go north, you get to basically what our neighbourhood could be. It's a series of houses similar to our houses, but they've blocked off all through traffic. So, actually, the main problem in our, along the street that we're moving to, is that there's a good amount of heavy traffic, cement trucks, these kind of things. Oh, shit, that just cement kind of trucks. barrel through. <laughs> these... How it's, many lanes? It's... It's it's a traditional street with parking along the street. These trucks are just okay, so parking and two lanes. No, just one, one lane on either side. That's so what I mean. Lanes. One yeah, lane yeah, on yeah, either yeah. side and parking and yeah. truck. The cement trucks are coming down that street. Not for long, Heron. The old the so <laughs> the house we moved into were two was was owned by two elderly people. The woman married the fellow, and her family lived on the house opposite us across the street. So when she was a girl, she would look over at this house and then she married the son of the people who owned the house and then they moved into the house. This is 70 years ago, Heron. Yeah, yeah. So her brother still lives in the family home opposite and he was one of the first people to come out and shake our hands. How old is he? He has just retired. He was a civil engineer with the city for 50 years. So he must be in his 70s. (laughs) He has been fighting for the past four or five years to get rid of these cement trucks. He's worked with the local... He's got an exclusivity deal with one of the local television stations to do stories on this. And he's actually given solid advice associated with all their operations on Saturday are completely illegal. So my plan is, because we actually have a nice porch, is to sit out there some Saturdays and start writing down number plates and doing things actually to, you know, proactively target these cement trucks that come from two companies that are two streets yeah, down yeah a bunch of photographs would exactly. be very nice yeah yes. no exactly and work 
as swiftly as possible. And actually some video to see the speed they're going. Well, also the noise as well. And the and, noise too, right. Yeah. yeah, you need it all. Yeah, yeah. and it's I think... It's easy to get. <laughs> yeah, and it's easy actually to put these things together and put them up yeah. on YouTube and actually That's create right. a, yeah. Yeah. a civil group against yeah. these yeah. Uh, Let's stop operations. This shit. Exactly. Is there, what would be the alternative route? Uh, well, there are you two freeways. There are okay. two freeways, and there's an industrial... Yeah, why they are they using this street? Shortest possible route for them. Okay, and so so what would be... Do you have an alternative route? Certainly. You're going to need... Okay, yeah, then you're set. This, yeah, if, now if you got a program. It, if they take it three streets over, four streets, they're in medium industry, which is a far better way for them to drive down. Yeah. Plus, they can find four alternative lanes routes. Over there or what? Four lanes, yes. Yeah, two okay, on either yeah, side. Yeah, right. Yeah. All right, cool. And that's only three blocks away? Yeah. Okay, well, that's pretty obvious then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, the, so it's easier for them this way, but that's bullshit. Yeah. The first thing, <laughs> the first thing actually to do, which they have done a couple of streets over, is put in these cement things that only regular sized cars can go through. And that basically eliminates the trucks. Ah, yeah, well, yeah, but you can't do that without some sort of city planning approval. This is where it gets interesting. So the local government where we're moving to, is very pro concrete. No, 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 no. Slim margins between the various elected officials and new folks who want to get elected. Uh-huh. And these kind of issues, according to Salvatore across the street, are very, very important to the locals. Okay. And basically, and, yeah. it can be something to motivate these politicians. Ah, okay. To do to something about it. Say, look what we did. Exactly. We, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, All right, yeah, so there's a bunch of possibilities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And as soon as we get rid of the trucks, the neighborhood, I think, changes vastly for the Oh, better. hell yes, hell yes. Now, in addition to this, a number of folks, so two doors down, she's lived there from her parents. Her parents lived in the house originally, but she's actually selling. And the people that are selling of this kind of second and third generation are bringing in people such as myself, professionals. Yeah. You know? Who want a nice area? Well, who the hell? Yeah, and the combination can afford it. The combination (laughs) of of new folk, old folk, and you know, very active people to kind of improve the environment is, I think, a very positive and interesting thing. What are the yards like? Are they well kept? The phenomena with these blocks is they're relatively thin and they're very long. So they are probably sixty feet wide, but very deep. Mm-hmm. And our place is the worst. How far off the street is the house? I mean, how much of a front yard do you have? We have uh, probably about 40 feet. 40 feet from the front door to the sidewalk? To or the to sidewalk, the yeah. Shit, okay, that's a lot. So the question is then is how well kept are the yards in the neighborhood? Well, that's the really first, important. The first 12 feet of a city, and the city puts in a lot of effort in the areas that they have. So ours, for example, has a, a I don't know, a 40-year-old, I don't know what kind of tree it is, uh, and it has a flower bed as well, which is very yeah. well maintained. Okay, but that's done by the city. Yeah. Yeah, so our front yard needs a bit of work. We got this strange kind of juniper hedge, which is just basically a spider garden, and we've not (laughs) had an established lawn. So my plan is actually, my wife is going to do some modifications on the juniper hedge, but I think within a year that's going out. Well, I was more interested in actually the rest of the neighborhood, not yours. 
the rest of the I, neighborhood's pretty good, actually. There's a house on the corner, which is... Our house is two stories high with a basement. The house on the corner is three stories high Ooh. and a beautiful old Victorian house. Wow. They have, however, fitted it with solar. It's newly painted. Ah. And the house opposite that is uh, two stories, but probably it's a two-block house. So it's it takes up two... Um, two lots? Two mm-hmm. lots. Oh. And that, that has three professional families living in it. It's oh, been okay. divided yeah. into three. They broke it up, yeah. And a lot of the houses on the street are actually, um, like, uh, graduate students. Yeah. There. Well, I'm just thinking about yeah. yours. Are, are the lawns being mowed? Yes. Yeah, because there are, are places around town where you can find really well-kept parts yeah. and then three or four houses. There is a problem, there is a problem with our neighbors. And I think, I think when, when we get a proper lawn, I might offer to mow the neighbor's lawn for them. But the house down, we've not really had any interaction. There seem to be at least two, because all these, blocks are zoned they're called r2 which means you're allowed to have two residences on the block on the lot you mean on the lot yeah and we have two residences the people down have two residences the people up from us have two residences only the three-story house on the corner has one residence plus a huge garden and then you said in their place it has three residences. Well, that right. was basically, that was a big house that was divided in yeah. three. Yeah, oh, okay, so which it could is have also been four. A standard. Yeah, okay. yeah, which yeah. is also a standard as well. Yeah. Okay. So these are really quite curious and interesting houses. There is a house opposite ours that used to be a rental property that's now not a rental property, and that has a strange, I don't even know what you'd call it, almost like a terrarium kind of front thing, which is just yeah. vast quantities of plants and other things. And that looks a little bit curious. And most of the houses down from us are single story. I think we're the last double story on the on the block, on the full block. Sorry, block is used to mean lot in Australia, which is why oh, I really? slip up occasionally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of ah, okay. Yeah. So um, it is an interesting neighbourhood, and the thing that I really like about it is through the times that we will be there, it's actually relatively quiet. It's only through the daytime that the trucks race yeah, through. Yeah, yeah, after, yeah. And, oh. yeah, in the evening when you're just there, there's no traffic and you... you my wife yeah. pointed out quite strongly, you actually get... The trucks ruin the smell. So when uh, the trucks yeah. stop, yeah. you actually get to smell the greenery. You actually ah, get to smell... Yeah. You hear the birds. Yeah. Everything and, you know, is called, a, yeah. A nice yeah. neighbourhood. Yeah, they stir up all the dust, yeah. all the crap in the road and everything. We yeah. looked at the house... I mean, we've had the roof replaced and we've had the internals completely painted and we've knocked out some stuff internally. But the we looked at the outside and the outside just needs a jet wash. The outside was probably painted maybe 10 years ago, maybe even sooner. But what it does have is all this truck garbage plastered onto it, which is just, you know, three, five years worth of truck soot. Yeah. Which is quite debilitating. It does worry me about the air quality. I mean, when it drops, it drops. So thankfully, yeah. you know, this this just needs to stop. The trucks need to stop, basically. Well, that would seem like a doable project. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's the new neighborhood. That's wonderful. I, I really would like to see some pictures of the house, so the neighborhood, the all is, of that. The thing know? is, when we what we have done... We got what's called heritage paints for the downstairs. So the downstairs is painted. It's got a modern angle that every surface, every wall, the ceiling, every other wall is painted a different color, which sounds very strange. But when you see it, it actually captures the light. And this was my wife's choice, actually. She's really led the church with us. And when you walk in now, it's a completely different house than when we first bought it, even sure. though it was yeah. a month and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. All yeah, the rooms have been painted. Yeah, the roof has been painted. The roof's deterioration caused some of the 
second floor rooms to ceilings to deteriorate. We've replastered, resanded, replastered again, and then repainted, in some cases painted two separate times upstairs to get different colours. And the, the, it's a completely different house. I was looking at the photos yeah. online of the for sale stuff, and it's like, we have gotten rid of all this dinge. Here's the other thing we did. There are hardwood floors upstairs, but you didn't know previously because there was 30 years worth of carpet crap on the floor. We ripped out the carpet in every room upstairs, except for one which was an add-on where we got new carpet put in. We have rich, kind of dark, chocolatey floors. What are they? What kind of wood? I don't know. I, I would, I'm, I'm hesitant to say, but I suspect they might even be redwood. Mm. I mean, they are really... No, that's too soft. They, they you think redwood's too soft? Yeah, for a floor? No way. Except in a mountain cabin. No, it's got to be something harder than that. Harder than redwood, you think? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. What the hell do I know? Maybe. I, I thought redwood was hard. I thought redwood was a hardwood. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. I thought it was a softwood. No, they needed special saws for redwood, I thought, because it was a harder wood. Well, I, anyway. I don't know. I just okay. make this shit up. Yeah. yeah, I don't know either. But the, the floors are just phenomenal. And just, yeah. It, it, it's. Yeah, but they're. Uh, I hate hardwood floors. They look cool, but. Nothing like good carpet, man. No. That feels good on the feet. We've got rugs. We'll we'll around rugs, Heron. Oh, okay, okay. If you got good enough rugs, yeah, you're right. Rugs mm-hmm. will rugs will yeah. do. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a big fan of hardwood. So hardwood. I like the way it looks, but I I don't I don't like the echoing is going to be interesting, and I think yeah, our listeners yeah, will find sound, that. Yeah, it makes our listeners will find that. I might need to create a sound booth in my room if it gets too echoey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My room is the kind of podcasting book room is uh, fifteen feet long by nine feet wide. Actually, it's ten mm, feet that's wide. A, that's a nice. It's a good nice size. size. Yeah, it's yeah, a really you can good do size. a lot with that. The only issue, which is why I'm putting books along probably both walls, is it is. It is a sun facing in the evening side, but thankfully there isn't a window in that side. So I have felt the room get slightly hotter uh, in the late afternoon. But uh, I think so you get a fan in there and you'll be in Easily solved. Yeah, no Very problem. easily solved. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm actually, you know, I'm looking forward to moving in. It's yeah, that's a coming. big adventure, you know. So, yeah, and I think it's... It's a bit of a schlep from work, but I think that's doable. That's the least of my worries. Yeah, and, well, that's just you know, part of the game. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And in terms of just general dietary things, I think we will have a better quality of food, both in terms of, you know, wet and dry markets, but also just in terms of, like, local, you know, restaurants. I mean, we... if. If you head in one direction, you get a lot of really good Mexican food, including a bunch of goat and other stuff that you just wouldn't normally get in certain areas. We got the Vietnamese stuff. We have um, Japan Town, you know, a few blocks up in another direction. We've got the major food groups covered. <laughs> so, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It's also very close to the university, which means that we wouldn't which have Which any- university is this? San Jose State. Okay. So, which means we have no problem with tenants either. I mean, I think our current tenants have been there two and a half years, and they told us quite categorically this week that they absolutely love living there. And, yeah, there's no sign of them moving. But if they were to move... Yeah, you could find some other... uh, And here's another interesting point. If we were to move, it would be really easy to... Rent it out. Rent out the house to three or four graduates. Ah, yeah, and absolutely. Pay, pay the mortgage quite comfortably. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you can move it back into apartment seven. <laughs> Rimshot. How's your wine glass looking, Aaron? 
Uh, it's doing quite well, thank you. Do you need to do you need to update it, or are you slowing no, down? No, no, no. It's no. I'm not doing anything intentionally. I'm okay. just fair yeah, enough. Just, uh, I, I just have. I guess maybe I've been talking too much. So, <laughs> one topic I wanted to cover because it has been a periodic topic is JFK. <laughs> okay, and. I came to this this week actually through listening to Joe Rogan's podcast, which I'm now grazing through periodically when I'm not listening to the Psychedelic Salon or uh, the Sea Realm or a few other podcasts. Yeah. They talked about this fellow called L. Fletcher Prouty. L. Fletcher Prouty <laughs> is an interesting character. He worked, I think, in the Department of Defense in their Black Ops basically their assassination squad area if you believe what he says yeah well that's yeah, yeah. he that's he, a big if <laughs> well well except he he does have credentials i mean he does have credentials that indicate that he did work in the department of defense in a relatively senior fashion at yeah. the times that he claims to work yeah for. yeah it may all be true who knows yeah. his claim to fame and he has a few was that he had a character who represented him in Oliver Stone's JFK. Ah. In fact, he is represented... He is Mr. X in that, who is represented by... And I see the actor's face in my head, and I... I have no idea. I have no idea who he was. Oh, I'm trying to think what else he starred in other than JFK. Anyway, moving on from that. L. Fletcher Prouty's claim to fame, aside from having amazing insights into the Sounds like a Monty Python name to me. Yes, it does. It does. (laughs) Was that he was sufficiently high in the US government that when Kennedy took his fateful trip to Dallas, he was whisked off to Antarctica, as a number of senior secret service intelligence folk were through this place, so they would not be in any position of power when JFK was bumped off. He talks about being in Christchurch, New Zealand, on the day of the assassination, hearing about the assassination at breakfast, and going and buying a paper. As he claims, it was only a couple of hours after the assassination that he bought the paper, as he heard from the radio reports, and yet the paper had a perfectly laid out photo of the shooter of a detailed bio of the shooter <laughs> all this detail most people were on the ball down there yeah the, the new zealand journalism has never been this swift they knew everything that they needed to know yeah about how convenient that's yeah, nice you know it makes everybody happy and this story seems remarkably fascinating because he kept a copy of the paper. And I watched some videos. I watched probably about an hour and a half of this guy talking on YouTube. And based on that, I decided to buy a couple of his books. I have one of them in front of me called yeah. The Secret Team, which is all about the CIA. I've also bought his other book, which is about JFK. He talks a lot about in The Secret Team about the Bay of Pigs, which is a period of time that I find interesting anyway. Yeah, I have a relatively... Not necessarily negative, but critical view associated with Kennedy. Uh, I'm not a positivist associated with Kennedy's period of time in the White House. However, the Christchurch paper incident, if you Google it, you will actually find the paper in question on a page maintained by locals in Christchurch associated with... Because, I mean, Christchurch is like the centre of conspiracy 
theories. Oh, so I don't know that. Yeah, okay. It, well, you you oh. need to know. You need to be in the know here in order to know yeah. that. Okay, think. okay, yeah. However, okay, well, yeah, I'm not big on New Zealand. Anyway, the Christchurch, they're in, big on conspiracy theories in Christchurch. Well, you see, they feature in the Oliver Stone movie as well. It appears <laughs> they have a reprint of the paper, including the fact now. Prouty found this out in the morning, went and bought what he calls the morning paper, saw all these details. He held this paper for a period of about 30 years, maybe 40 years, talked about it on a regular basis. It was the afternoon edition. That's the problem. <laughs> so actually, the paper had, had he just uh, six hours. just overlooked that? Or- I find it really fascinating because this guy talks with a particular passion. Yeah. And yet yeah. a very basic detail like that. Well, let me ask you something, because for years I've been telling the story that this was in October of 83 that I got that map. Yes. And several people have told me that's just absolutely impossible. There's no way... Uh, that could have happened. You know why I believe you, Heron? Why? Because I spent about 18 months with Steve Wozniak. And through that period of time, I realized that there is so much mythology associated with Apple Computer, which is so contrary to primary facts, which, like this Christchurch example, is relatively easy to discover. Well, let me ask you, did you find anything when you were looking up the computer poet that put a time frame on that? Unfortunately not. And because I, I've gone back, because I've gone back and looked mm-hmm. through my diary, you know, or my my journal, uh, looking for evidence of computer stuff, yeah. and I find it very clearly. But it's not in October of '83; it's long after that. Well, you were designing a robot and various computer circuitry in '85. Well, I know, but that's this is years later. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about October of '83. But there was there's nothing in my writing to indicate anything until early of '84, uh, uh, which is you know after. even still too early for the Mac story, right? The well, Mac no. story is the Super Bowl, 1984, right, which yeah, is prior yeah, to the yeah, launch. Th- yeah, right, yeah. And so that's the question is, I mean, I had never heard of the Mac, but of course, well, anyway, I was just curious about that if you ran into let, it. Let me, let me point this out. I think so much of what is given as computer fact is, and this is within our lifetimes, Heron. This is within my lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely and utterly Bullshit. Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Created and rewritten and retold to people that don't have a fucking clue and don't <laughs> care. They yeah. like their story associated yeah. with the way they see the world as That's being. That's right. We got my story. And, and look, Karen, I wouldn't even... My view is, actually, all we can do... And I frequently find my own story to be in error. In fact, this morning... My spiritual advisor and I were reconstructing a discussion that we had with the tenant last night associated with Korean sushi. Korean sushi is distinctly different to Japanese sushi. Most of what we get in the US is Korean sushi, the strange rolls with the sauces, all this kind of stuff. But I have had experiences with good quality Japanese sushi, which is typically the cuts of fish on the rice. Very simple cuts, none of these kind of large pillowy cuts, what have you. But you get a distinctly different flavour and you get to experience the texture of the fish as well. Very different experience. My wife and I were talking about this, and we periodically talk about this, and I assembled a narrative, which went on apparently for three minutes, with a tenant last night, talking about the distinctions between Korean and Japanese sushi. My spiritual advisor contends, all of this came from her. 
I know for a fact a portion of this came from my mother because my mother has told me, please don't take me to any of these Korean sushi places in the US. She doesn't like it. It's not the way she likes to eat sushi. Yeah. All these incidents came together. We were talking this morning. My spiritual advisor has no recollection of any of these things. She thinks this was her unique idea and that I need to start representing that when I tell the Korean versus Japanese sushi (laughs) story. (laughs) We language monkeys are very, very, very curious well, creatures. But well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. The unfettered nature of the language monkey is for them to recite and, and truly believe the lies that they are saying are the truth. And it is the only truth. Well, they, well, of course, that's, that's the big problem. And that, that is the single biggest problem in the universe. Well, at least Earth, anyway, is well, that people don't universe. know the difference between their story about the world and, and, and what's actually happening. To yeah. them, it's the same thing. It's not even worth questioning. And until that gets solved, I don't see any hope <laughs> for this planet. Yes. In our last recording, I tried to tease apart the notion of the Stonian ethic. And this, in large part, was to try and lay down some ground rules. So, for example, when Listener Lorraine starts attributing a wide variety of things to you and to me that neither of us have ever said, we can at least point to the Stonian ethic and say, actually, wait, there are a series of procedures that you need to go through before we can even start to say that we can have agreement associated with these claims. And I think what interested me through that conversation, and this probably, you know, the thing about our listener base is that there are, if you were to start counting groups, there are probably at least five or six, if not ten, different, intelligibly different groups. Well, that's what I'm saying, is I suspect even those groups are are pointless. <laughs> yeah. that, that What we got is a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> a bunch of individual yeah. people who just happen to click yeah. with the way we do this shit. Yeah, that just for some reason, I mean, we have we have the anonymous iTunes review that says some great conversations here. Really, I have no idea who that person <laughs> is. They've never reached out to me. They've clearly never reached out to you. Yeah, that has, maybe they have and never mentioned that. You know, who knows? Maybe potentially so. Yeah. But you know, I think there are these people that listen and get something out of it. And I mean, look, to be perfectly frank, I listen to the Stone Ape podcast. I know you don't. I know why you don't. (laughs) But I actually do, and I enjoy it because I realize that over time I'm hearing as me a distinctly different person. Yeah. And it 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 tracks. I don't want to use the evolution word. Maybe devolutions, and maybe you know revolutions in my thought Mm -hmm. over a long period of time, and that in and of itself is a luxury. And people could agree with me and agree with you. And well, that's why I use my my journal. I mean, is what did that for me for many many years. It allowed me to view from a distance the kinds of shit I was thinking about. And that's that's. That's real useful. And I suspect that what we're talking about is stuff that mirrors some other people, that yeah. they're thinking about these kinds of things, yeah. the same kinds of things. But again, I, I, I'm i hesitant to think that they have anything in common other than the fact that they're interested in or that they somehow find this entertaining. Here's another view that I want to present to you, which I think is probably more, uh, if, if such a thing exists, the general listenership. And this is based on correspondence I've had with others. They take Stone Ape 
as a cognitive workout. Although you and I are I feel like we're kind of intellectually fanning ourselves or, you know, maybe picking grapes or in your case <laughs> sipping wine. There is a group of our listeners that feel that we take ideas to a place that they have not explored. Mm-hmm. And initially, people suffer a kind of whiplash. Language <laughs> monkey. You know, in yeah. the environment with this conversation. But actually, what we try to do over time is present a diversity of opinions and ideas. And what I've tried to do in the format is throw the topics in such a diversity of directions that if people don't like one particular topic, we won't typically yeah. hark on that for a long period of time. Well, when you say, yeah, see, because I come here with no, well, I have my own personal agenda, which yeah. is obvious. Uh, but other than that, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much of an intention for anything here. Yeah. <laughs> I just, like I say, I just, I think it's, I think it's stimulating to have a conversation with someone who can keep up their end of the conversation. Yeah, I don't it's find that, too. You know, I don't find yeah. that very often. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's, that's enough to keep me here. <laughs> Yes. Yes. It is a funny thing, the ability to have a conversation and to have a conversation on a variety of different topics somewhat fluidly interconnected. I am pretty well this way even when we're not recording Stone Ape. And I think this is the thing that my spiritual advisor found when we first met was that she had never encountered a man. And this is more a depressing kind of analysis probably in my spiritual advisor's environment, but she had never encountered a man who was able to talk. No, I, that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. yeah, I'm just so thankful I'm a man. I can't imagine what it would be like uh, to have a man for a lover. I mean, that's just the most awful thing I can imagine in the world. Men are just such fucking idiots. Well, this returns to the whole <laughs> domestic violence thing, doesn't it? Because I think, yeah, I think increasingly I would hope and this is an interesting, I mean, this is a kind of gender analysis thing, which probably, well, let's dive in there. <laughs> when, when I was going through my late teens and early twenties, I observed a lemming-like behavior in many of the women that I knew, where they would just go and find these completely dropkick, <laughs> devoid of any benefit. Yeah. Men. And they went through this cycle, and the advice that I've given to my fellow nerds, for want of a better term, particularly the younger ones, is that this is just something to do with either the vast quantity of linguistic programming, or maybe even the biology. Well, or, or it's not either or, it's all of that. Yeah. 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 But, well, which, which is more heavy? Maybe it's just an equal combination. And then sometime through the mid twenties to early thirties, a group of women will realize that being fucked over repeatedly by a group of like degenerate men yeah. is kind of boring. <laughs> and then yeah. they might like come around, you know? And unfortunately, this is just a function of our society that this is the way things exist. And the only advice I can give to young men who, I mean, look, some of my friends gave up on women. 
and went over to men through this period. I had one particularly nerdy friend who basically, although he considers himself bisexual, all his relationships have been with men from his early 20s because he just had a, a series of these really curious and destructive experiences with women. <laughs> you know, I find that so hard to imagine. I've had plenty of destructive relationships with women. And you keep going I, back, Aaron. And I keep going right back to them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, too, find it rather crazy. I but- can't imagine making a rational choice. Okay, I think I'm going to go get fucked guys now. Yeah, I think... No, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. It seems to me that you're either there or you're not. Yes, know? yes. Well, I mean, he claims to be bisexual, but he's not had any relationships with women since. Well, I suspect he's just not telling the truth to himself. Fair enough. That he's homosexual, he's been homosexual, uh, he denied it and got into a bunch of shitty relationships because he denied his, his sexuality. True sexuality. Yes. Yeah, right. Well, tr- I don't know about that, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a curious but, narrative. But that, you know, yeah, that I mean, that seems easier to understand than any other explanation. Yeah. Yeah. It is very, very curious though. I I had hoped I guess I guess I remain optimistic because, you know, within within my own experience, I became teetotal. I stopped drinking alcohol in my mid twenties based on an uncle who <laughs> showed you the light. Well, yeah. who had destroyed his life with alcohol. Yeah, you know? right. yeah. And I just thought, this is stupid. Yeah, I don't want to do that. You know, yeah, I have I a very, very thin luck in my life. And if I can't t- maximize the advantage of that luck, yeah. I really feel that I could be in a very, a series of very dire circumstances. And unfortunately, <sighs> alcohol just would deteriorate. No, you, that yeah, luck. you don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, alcohol. I haven't drank much since I was, I, I drank, I didn't drink, I started late, you know, like I was 20, I think, mm-hmm. before I started drinking. I was almost legal, <laughs> you know. Mm. And then I drank really heavy when I was in college for like a year or yeah. so. And, uh, and that was the end of it for me. I discovered yeah. marijuana and I had no need for alcohol anymore. Yeah. You know, and now it's like, you know, well, now I get drunk every Friday, but, <laughs> you know, before I met you, it was like, you know, two or three times a year. You yeah. know, maybe I'd drink several glasses of wine and, you know. Yes. So. Yeah, it is funny, actually, because I, I don't have glaucoma. That's a, an update. Oh, and good. if you're not drinking uh-huh. your wine, I'm actually, and I've just poured a good quantity of the water down the seat, which is always, but I am going to refill my water glass at this point. Okay. Um, I don't have glaucoma. And I was thinking... Good news! Well, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm right, it's good news. Actually, the interesting thing was that they tested... So, the things that they tested initially all turned out negative, like I I had glaucoma. And then everything that they tested after that indicated that I didn't have glaucoma. I just had, you know, bigger, more resilient eyes than, you know, and that pushed me outside the glaucoma for everything that they tested after that initial day. Yeah, everybody's, yeah, what yeah. for you it may be glaucoma, may not be for somebody else. Yes. Yeah, right, yeah. But it made me think about doing a series of things, although I haven't been able to get more sleep and do these kind of things, but just a series of basic health things that would probably, which they didn't advise me of, I just thought independently, yeah. you know, this is a wake-up call, I probably should Well, it's time to start thinking about, you know, that old line, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Yes, which we both <laughs> attribute to George Burns, but yeah, maybe I think else. Yeah, right, yeah, who knows, <laughs> but it's a damn good line. Line is certainly. one that certainly applies to me. <laughs> yes, but I was thinking about as this. a young guy, I would advise you take care of yourself. Man. I'm trying, Heron. I'm trying. 
when I'm allowed to, I do. But I was thinking about this period that I don't think, well, certainly through my current life, I don't think there is any way I could take up medicinal marijuana. I'm in a period of time in my life where, and I, I do. Wait a minute, I don't even understand what you just said. Well, when I, when there was the potential error of me having glaucoma, you and oh, I joked I about. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, right. Medicinal yeah. cannabis. But, it's interesting, actually, because Lorraine attributed something to me through the Facebook group recently with regards to my job at Netflix. And then also to reach... Look, Corey Doctorow, I don't have a lot of time for Corey. I've interacted with him on a few separate occasions. He's been very polite to me. He's never actively promoted anything that I've done. He's deep linked some stuff that I've worked on. But he's at least responded to my emails and he's affected or changed his behaviour when he was doing things to, you know, do damage to me in one regard or another. But his analysis is just completely nuts associated with Netflix. I mean, my relationship with Netflix is it is one of the best jobs I've ever had. I thoroughly enjoy working there. I'm relatively intellectually stimulated on a daily basis, and I genuinely like the people I work with. You know, there are a few people on the fringes and what have you, and there are a few personalities and all this kind of stuff. But I do feel, compared to a number of jobs that I've had where I haven't been intellectually stimulated, where I've actually felt depressed associated with working in these environments, Netflix is pretty good. And it's a damn sight better than a number of other companies in this part of the world, particularly those that have, you know, done anti-competitive practices for more than a decade and haven't adjusted, you know, employee rights, salaries, a variety of other things over that period of time. I am not, however, um, like a, a Netflix fanboy, and I don't want people to think just because it's my day job, I can't talk critically about my employer. I may not choose to talk critically about my employer at Stone Ape, but there are certainly <laughs> aspects of Netflix that I would do differently, and I think everyone would with regards to their employer. The point about Cory Doctorow's analysis is he doesn't understand the food chain. I mean, Apple, I think again by Doctorow, was criticised when they first started doing iTunes that this should all be free, MP3, what have you. That's not the way this process works. It's not just Apple owning all the music, putting the music out. It's vast quantities of licenses and legal nonsense oh, and yes, stuff all the, all that needs to... Yeah. And the analysis in that was so paper-thin that I thought to... And Lorraine's analysis associated with my relationship with Netflix and all this kind of stuff. I just thought... Maybe I'm misportraying who I am in this environment, but don't start attributing things to me unless you at least contact me first and ask me. I mean, you the perspective of who I am may appear caricaturish through these recordings, but I would hope that people would think that I have a little bit more diversity and grit than can be immediately attributed. It just struck me as strange. It struck me as strange. It wasn't one of the top two that I've narrated associated with Facebook, but it was certainly an interaction that I really didn't feel any need to be a part this of. This was this thing on the net neutrality stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if if people listening in to hear and understand what my view of net neutrality is, although I've said it on three prior recordings, I'll say it again. I don't want to bore any listeners, so fast forward if you've already heard this. About seven years ago now, Google stopped Noble 8 being found in Google searches. And it seriously, it was a waste of my time for like three months dealing with this nonsense with Google. Net neutrality is a branded Google term that Google's lobbyists in Washington have talked about. What net neutrality about is about is not free and open internet. It's about Google controlling the internet. 
And the way in which it's discussed associated with the contracts with the cable companies is nonsense. What it is, is it's about pointing the finger at the cable companies and not pointing the finger at Google, associated with how Google has manipulated and controlled the internet. For what really, honestly, is pretty crappy search. I mean, it's search that really now, when you're trying to find information, it's getting to the point where it's almost at the pre-Google level associated with how difficult it is to find information. There's a bunch of manipulation, there's a bunch of other nonsense, and really, Google doesn't care anymore about search. It's one of these curious things where search was just part of the way that Google got into all these other businesses. But yeah, when I hear net neutrality, I just see Google, trademark, net neutrality, not addressing any issues associated with the internet. And folks such as Cory Doctorow and the EFF are paid off. The EFF has had so much connection with Google that they will never protect the free internet. They're a non-existent entity in my interactions with the EFF, which you can find noble8.com slash googleblock.html. Well, just show actual correspondence that I had with the EFF. I think they're a waste of space and a waste of time. We need to have truly independent internet organizations that represent the free internet, not these corporations. What the hell does it even mean to talk about the free internet? I mean, that's not... Yeah, go ahead. Well, there are concepts here, Heron. I mean... Well, I mean, it can't be... I mean, somebody's going to have to pay for it. You know, the issue... I mean, as far as I thought, the the issue was whether some people are going to charge more you know whether the the isps are going to charge people like netflix and others a higher rate because they're using so much bandwidth well is that is that not the issue the notion here of bandwidth is very interesting because you should probably consider the internet in you see what you have said is, no, I asked a question. I didn't say anything. Well, I'm asking if that is the issue or not. That's the way in which the issue is framed. You do understand here, clearly, Heron. Uh-huh. You do understand that the language that you present a topic sure. in yeah. Yeah. Well, frames that's language, the topic. That's the only language that I've heard that I actually understand. Well, everything that's else I've heard language. sounds like everything else I've heard sounds like bullshit to me. Yeah. But that I at least understand that. Yeah. You know? So yeah, if that's if that's not a reasonable way to frame the the issue, then I'm certainly open to hearing another way. But it would seem to me that if if bandwidth is a problem, then we should build more fucking connections to people. Well, <laughs> firstly, it's an artificial commoditization of the concept, but also it's a bit like studying all ecology by just looking at dung beetles. It's a a way of, if you think of the internet as an ecosystem, you are describing the fringes of the ecosystem being the most important parts of the ecosystem. And I actually think that simplification is so artificially created here. Wait a minute, I don't even understand what that means. The fringe, you mean the users, the end users? Is that oh, what you're, you're talking, talking about, about is the fringe? No, what you're talking about is what's typically called either the last mile or potentially the last four feet or the <clears> last <throat> ten feet. Well, you're talking about an individual user, right? Well, here's the interesting a thing. Compu- well, a computer, you're talking about a, cu- a computer. Does the internet exist on your computer? Or is your computer no. just a means of looking into the internet ah because if it's a means of looking into the internet well it's not really that's just too static because it really does talk about i mean there's information going around and there's right now limited pipes to push all that information again so i mean the problem is or is that not true 
I don't see it that way, and certainly the folks that I talk to don't describe it that way. There is issues associated with where the information resides, particularly in terms of high bandwidths. But I think the framing of the internet as US consumers' experience of cable companies fails to describe what they were able to do in Singapore, for example. Singapore has some unique geographical benefits. But what could exist in Singapore could also now technically exist in a majority of the US. Now, in a somewhat positive light associated with Google, if you believe their propaganda, they're trying to roll something like this out in a few cities. They may even roll it out in San Jose relatively soon, and I may be able to actually be a part of that. But the internet as a concept should not see the users as the last four feet, or the delivery in the last four feet. It's a bit like... No, it's you- got to be two-way. It's got to be... Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's got to be all of us interacting yeah. with each other. You can't fish in the top foot of the ocean. And the ocean's benefit, if that such a thing exists, does not exist only in the top foot. The ocean's benefit exists in its depth. It's a quite a complex idea, but right. it's one that can't be framed in the discussion as it's framed through the net neutrality argument, because the net neutrality argument avoids well, talking I don't care about... What, listen, I don't really care what we call it. You know, net neutral. What I'm interested in is uh, just being able to get unfettered access to everything at the fastest possible speed. That's what I want. So after you move past the cable companies, the next obstacle you hit, which is why it's not discussed in this framing, is Google. Because your presentation of the internet, aside from your ability to get information from a wide variety of sources, is typically controlled by Google. Well, yeah, I, when I search for something, I'm dependent upon what they give me. Exactly. You're right. And that's an, and listen, if that's an issue, well, what are the alternative, uh, I, I used to try alternative, uh, you know, search engines and didn't find that it really made all that much difference. Uh, I'm, are, is there a better search here's, engine than Google right now? Point. Here's my point. One of the things, one of the things that I point to about how amazing the US is, historically, is what happened to the railroads and what happened to the telephone company. They created vast monopolies, and then the government came in and said, you can't do this shit anymore. You're not servicing the people anymore. You've gone too big. You're too costly. You're too stupid. We need to come in and break you up. What has... Where's this phenomena over the past 30 years? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. In in the long run, this needs to be a public service. This Not needs only does to be it need to be a public service. I think it needs to be broken up. Well, however we do it, I, I mean that needs to be examined and find the best way to get from where we are to where we want to be. The important thing is to define clearly where we want to be, so that we know what we're working towards. How do we want it to be? What kind of system should it be? And and then we can begin to make the changes that'll move it in that direction. Thankfully, right now, thankfully, yeah. antitrust is a, is a far more fundamental concept, and it relates to in capitalism. Yeah, the nature of a monopoly. Yeah, on a variety of levels, the case could be made that progressively, or maybe even at this stage, the company that I work for could be considered in this light. However, I think there are a number of elements that divide basically what I see Netflix doing and what I see Google doing currently. And I think the amassing of 
a variety of curious military robotics and surveillance and things that are sold to a variety of foreign governments by Google is very, very curious and personally quite troubling. Okay, I guess I'm just uh, uninformed. I just don't have not even looked at that. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my, my view is actually that this whole net neutrality noise avoids a far deeper and more interesting discussion associated with what the internet means in terms of after the cable companies. No, I, I agree with you. In the long run, we have to form, you know, that's that, the thing is, how do we want it to be? Having yeah. some sort of clear consensus even about yeah. what would be the kind of system we'd like to see. And yes. then, and then figure out how the hell to get there from here. Yeah. That's the, that's the trick. <laughs> yeah. But if we don't have a clear vision of where we're going, then criticizing the present really isn't all that useful. Well, except. Well, no, I, I mean, should look, say, no, it's okay, useful. So, you know, it's, it's always so, good to stir up a little trouble. No, 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 no. Let's, <laughs> let's look here. There is a strong argument that a number of people make that studying history in modern <laughs> times is useless. That understanding yeah. what has happened previously really is so completely removed from our current set of problems. Eh, it depends on how clever you are at interpretation, but there, there, you can make a case for that. I would make the case that anything you know can be useful. <laughs> That's, funnily enough, you and I agree here. I'm illustrating this point not to agree with it, but just to illustrate it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that if you understand... So, well, a number of aspects of history, you can actually use this knowledge up to the present day to create quite an interesting set of criticisms that are critical of the present day that are talking about moving to a future that you can describe that is positive in a number of ways. Sure, there are going to be a wide variety of unknown chaotic elements there, but you are going to be implementing the kind of change that you're talking about based yeah. on a historical perspective in order to solve... It's you know. helpful to understand how the planet got to be the way it is. Yeah. You know, and it's not just human history, it's geology. It's yeah. evolution on the cosmic scale. It's understanding our place in the whole universe. Most yeah. people think they live in Lakewood. I don't, but maybe some. Well, well, the people in Lakewood, all, almost all of them. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, used to, I used to live in Lakewood, see, so uh -huh. I, I know. <laughs> did you continue to think that you lived in Lakewood even after you left Lakewood? No, no. Then I thought I lived in Buena Park for a while. Very good. <laughs> yes. And the good news is I can still get up and walk. Very good. Yeah. So you're actually displaying restraint this recording, which may be intentional based on the last experience. Uh, I, I don't sure. know if it is or not, but I was really quite surprised. I mean, because I didn't feel drunk. Yeah, when uh, you're sitting down, you never feel anything. I've found that, that basically oh, you are, because you are so restrained in your perspective, you can have the perspective <laughs> of a variety of things until you actually move into space. It gives you a different insight. Well, whatever it was, standing up changed a lot of things in my mind. <laughs> and yes. I was quite surprised by that, you know, because I haven't felt that. I've, even the time when I got drunk on this thing before, whenever that was, I, I could get up and walk. You've stopped <laughs> smoking weed through the recordings, I think. You've uh, cut down your medicinal marijuana. You haven't smoked medicinal marijuana through this recording, have you? Well, I'm not even going to talk about that anymore. Okay. <laughs> but I guess, I guess yeah. my point is... No, it's, it's not medicinal marijuana. I mean, I know, I mean, we can go legal. That's bullshit. It's not about that. 
It's about well, you've described pain that it's eased and eating that. Oh it's yeah, eased well that's and... right. No, yeah, you're right. It can be. <laughs> it can be medicinal. Yes. Yeah. Although it didn't work uh, on the kidney stone. <laughs> so yes, yeah, yeah that it's, was. It unfor- can only do so much magic. It, yeah, really. It, yeah, yeah. That that one got me to the emergency room. <laughs> but but yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if if marijuana is effective. Really? Well, I know it's effective on, on a couple things with gastrointestinal stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So there, there must be something going on there. And apparently yeah. it helps some people sleep, people who have trouble yeah. sleeping. Now, I anticipate it would probably do that with me, or that's at least my thought associated yeah. with it, because that is a real problem for But see, that's exactly what I don't like about it. That's the difference yeah. between sativa and indica. Indica, yes. Yeah, uh, is that I, what I want is high-energy stuff. I want yes. stuff that makes the ideas flow. <laughs> I don't want to go to sleep. Hell, I'm yeah. trying to wake up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, my my perception, at least, of our conversations is that you've changed your habits through them. Well, I'm, you know, in the process of um, transformation, always. Uh, mm. I lost 25 pounds last year. Congratulations. I expect I'm going to lose another 25 this year. Yeah. Or somewhere in that area. Yeah, I so rarely see your physical form outside your headshots. I mean, that was the thing associated with Marie and Justin oh, yeah. seeing you. Yeah. Was that, yeah, I don't really get a sense of your physical form. We've once had a, a chance where the video went on. You video called me accidentally and you were sitting there. I think uh, I can't recall whether you were wearing underwear or not, but I certainly, you know, y- your form was there. Yeah. And I thought, okay, I, I don't need to know this much about Heron and kind of divert my eyes. <laughs> you hung up and then, you know. <laughs> we resume the connection. So I did have a f- form that yeah. you, you did seem a bit more stocky in that yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's time to, uh, I, I got to deal with this. You yeah. know, I got to get, I want to stay healthy. I, if I'm going to live 10,000 years, I got to yeah. do my part of it. And yeah. I, and, and before I go to the hospital and get hip replacements and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this back surgery and shit, uh, you know, all that shit could make a huge difference. But if I haven't, actually got my own self under control uh then that's pointless yeah so so that's what that's part of what this whole uh sabbatical thing is about is my physical existence yeah well certainly moving into this house i think i've lost about 15 pounds through that I bet. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, seriously, for all weekends and some weekdays in the evening, far more than any gym workout. The main thing I found was that I'm using my hands and my arms. Yeah. Well, and you're using your back. Well, and your back, too. Yeah. You know, and you're you're doing everything that you haven't done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, look, I walk long distances. These are different kinds of movements, though. Yeah. You're discovering muscles that haven't been used for a while. And what I found through it is that you lose the perception of time. So you'll do this manual labor for three, Mm -hmm. four hours and then it'll be like, oh, it's 630 already. What's going on? No, you know, it's a very strange thing because you're so... I'm well, so, you are. I, I'm not sure I experienced that. Well, when... So, for example, I've ripped up carpet in three rooms and the carpet had a rubber underneath that deteriorated. It wasn't the usual foam underneath, which involved breaking up this rubber into particle, you know, smaller than one inch chunks because we mm-hmm. have a, a shop vac that then picks it up from there. Yeah. Yeah. And that took probably about four hours a room worth of uh, really yeah. down on my hands and knees yeah. and black yeah. grit and yeah. all this kind yeah. of stuff. 
And I just and you were totally absorbed in it. Yeah. 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 Well, good for you. <laughs> I think I have. I mean, part of this is walking. When you walk long distances, you get almost. I mean, I probably could have a detailed yeah. conversation if you stopped and talked to me, but you get almost into a hypnotic state through oh, that. Oh yeah. Experience. No, I used to do a lot of walking. Yeah. Actually, and I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a rhythm to the walk, yeah, and your breathing and, changes. Yeah. Yeah. And everything. Things, yeah, you know? yeah. 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 So. But yeah, I found through this. You know, I mean, that, lo- can I can I insert something here because this this reminds me of something that I don't think I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about these uh, like these desktop pictures that I have of, of uh, <laughs> a, a lot of the Sierra Nevadas and, yeah. and but of course places all over the Matterhorn. God, what a beautiful mountain that is! That's just such a a unique <laughs> structure. Anyway. Yes. Um, and as I said, I used to do quite a bit of backpacking, usually two or sometimes three trips a year for, mm-hmm. I don't know, 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what happens after it took, it always took, it was the morning of the third day. Mm. After being away from straight lines and right angles, yep. being Humanity. on the trail, yep. Yep. you know, and uh, just being in this wilderness on the third morning. Every time it it was like I woke up and it was a new world. You know, it was you get tuned into that. Yeah. And I can still I can still that's what I was saying. When I look at these pictures, I can remember that. I can yeah. remember what that feels like. And it is just such an amazing transition. And most people have never experienced that. Yes. You know, they they've been in the the grid on the grid every moment of their lives, and it takes at least two days. I don't know, maybe if you know, maybe other people can get it sooner. I don't know, but third morning for me, it was well. I ga- I began to expect it. I knew it was coming, <laughs> and boom, mm. there it was. You know. Anyway, I'm not quite sure why I had to insert that there, but I just wanted to throw that out there. You've talked about it previously. I mean, oh, I, okay, good. <laughs> My sense through that is that it's associated with the primate mind. That under all this bullshit that we kind of pack on top, yeah, there is just a little monkey. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the civilization stuff. There's no more reinforcement for that. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. I, I and, and and you revert. Well, it's not reversion. It's just all that drops away. All that stuff just goes away. Language is still there. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not that big a difference, but it's a huge difference. It's hard to even talk about, really. Except that it was so clear to me, you know, that something had changed after a couple of days that now as I walk on the trail and look at stuff, it's just all different than it was the first two days. Mm. If Mm. you believe the mythology, although not my ancestor, my ancestor was Robert the Bruce's brother. That's helpful. (laughs) So his father, they shared a father. Who? Robert the Bruce. Robert the Bruce. I'm afraid who, that's a, and you're just going to throw that out and expect a, me to understand what that's not particularly. <laughs> what you need to understand is that they were basically Scottish revolutionaries. He was the first king of Scotland. But through this, a number of these people, even up to his great grandson, were executed for treason. <laughs> and if you go back even further, natural born troublemakers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. When 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 the Yud genetics connected up with these genetics, there was trouble to be had. Yeah, no. Clearly, both 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 cultures liking storytelling and revolutionary types. And if you go even further back, and I'm talking about like six oh one. These people are in Norway with names like Skull Smasher and The Wise. <laughs> and here's the interesting thing. There's some discussion associated with this kind of ancestry mentality that always mysteriously people are related to kings and all this kind of guff. <laughs> what is in fact the <laughs> well, case- Well, that makes sense that almost is- everybody would be. There were a lot fewer people back then. <laughs> Not only that. So you have the Genghis Khan phenomena where basically he just, you know, fucked his way across Europe quite literally. <laughs> and then you have this royalty connection where they just had a shitload of children yeah and this is this is how i have these connections is that you know the last one along the line married you know my seventh great grandfather who obviously had come from the field she was the kind of drop away daughter after having you know 12 kids and this is the way you get these kind of strange connections but in each generation i have tried to imagine what these people would have been like you go back to 601, and you're dealing with you're with dealing, mythology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, they're barely human by yeah. any definition that I would give. They're really language monkeys. Well, no. You see, this is the thing because the oh, you language think they're not is, even developed that far yet. I don't think they're developed that far. Well, I, think, well, I, think, I think you know. I th- ah, you know. This may is. I don't think it's for everybody. I think some had. I mean, read Marcus Aurelius. Certainly. You know? So, obviously, some people were thinking. Yes. But, but the vast majority, the people, the peasants, the people who lived on the land, you're right. They're probably just grunting their way through. <laughs> the nature of the relation who was called Skull Smasher. <laughs> His father was called The Wise. Uh-huh. Which I think is maybe maybe the Skull Smasher just had to come from The Wise. And these kind of things is just really curious to me. I, I, it's so much of a mythology in terms of the nature that probably there are, you know, because we're talking uh, 30, maybe even 30, maybe even 40 generations back. So many of those could have been... You know, frankly, I'm astounded. You're claiming that you can trace your ancestry accurately back 40 generations? Let me explain how, Herod. That strikes me as just really bizarre. Let me explain how. (laughs) It struck me as bizarre, but then I looked through it, and I had to make a number of alterations through this traversal. The royalty, even the lesser royalty, maintained really amazingly good birth records, down to individual days. And all you need to do, as I do, is uh, an eighth great-grandfather marrying the youngest daughter of the Ohio clan, who were, you know, Brits that came over from Ireland, uh, came over to Ireland to, you know, subjugate the locals. The phenomena through this is that there is potential through any of these lines for there to be infidelity, which means that some of the bloodlines are going to be skewed anyway. The dates, (laughs) however, (laughs) the dates, however, are really, really precise and are shared from multiple. So, for example, through these, there are French, British, Scottish, and American genealogists that have provided some of these trees. And you're not dealing from a single source ever. In fact, when it comes to a single source, that's when I get to 
to Wikipedia and then actually gets reading more. Yeah. You have a variety of handwritten elements through this. So, for example, the, the way I got into the chain associated with uh, this is that a Hardy, which is my grandfather on my mother's side, his seventh great-grandfather married into the O'Hare clan, or O'Hara, I should say, and they then married into the Carmichaels, and the Carmichaels then married up into uh, the Bruces and then all the way up. But what you appreciate is that it's a it's a tree in both directions. These people have children, grandchildren, what have you. But also that at each of these points of those trees, you have a bifurcation, obviously. You've got a mother and father, typically. So when you go back 20 generations, there is potentially mm. tens yeah, of, you know, lots yeah. of people. <laughs> lots of people. But the only people that maintain accurate birth histories are unf- unfortunately yeah, are the part of the aristocracy. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. So right. this is how it converges the on the aristocracy. The know what day exactly. it is. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you do end up with these strange narratives of aristocracy, <laughs> but that's just because what's there. Yeah, right. Yeah. But you can follow... Well, so changed later. I mean, after, yeah. you know, what, 17, 1800, that began to change, I guess, or what? Well, general people kept better birth records. Yeah. And you had things like the, actual, the church, right? Well, you had roles of marriage, roles of death, roles of birth. Yeah. So part Those of this maintained mostly by the church? No, some of them by the state. I well, mean the state the church did have some records. But yeah. you know, the state was there as well. I need to be clear here with people. I this is why I'm only doing it on month thing but i'm paying i think 49 dollars for this month for the privilege of having access to ancestry's records it's not cheap it's not relatively cheap although it's for people who take it seriously (laughs) but the access to information they've been doing this i mean i've been a member periodically i guess for i don't know more than 10 years but only in terms of just seeing what's there at a no cost entry There are clearly people that have been on this thing for that length of time, putting in vast quantities of data. So the data mining part of it is really very fascinating. Mm, And you do get crazy things like like four generational loops where someone has just accidentally connected the wrong parent. And you've got to work through all of that. And I've been using Wikipedia very heavily. So when there are breaks, I can look up and see, well, this is the time, this is the date, this is what's going on. And I've done a lot of corrections through this. In fact, a majority of the And you're posting these to the network so that these yeah. people will be no, exactly. updated that's too. The yeah. Thing. yeah, that's yeah. the thing. So, for example, on, on, I haven't gone through my grandmother on my mother's side. She has a printed family history that she and a variety of her second cousins wrote, which unfortunately I'd packed away for this move, so I haven't accessed that and put in that data. But the data I have put in comes from my grandfather's family. And my grandfather's family on my mother's side have family historians. I mean, my grandfather's death date was put in, even though no one I know in this tree had that information. It's updated by people who are obviously obsessive associated with these things. On my father's side of the family, things are considerably more vague. And this is where it gets interesting. So by putting in four out of seven of my great-grandfather's... Well, actually, four out of six. My grandfather was one of... To make seven. Of the children in his family, of his parents, I was able to get information of a variety of other folk around that. Oh, yeah. Including okay. back. Yeah. Family histories where we only had the mother's name, uh, Eva in this case, we realised was Eva Davis, who married my great-grandfather... And we were, I was able to form a tree there. I was also then able to link up with the family who married into my great-grandfather's family who live in Chicago. 
who I had no knowledge of. In parallel to this, I had a DNA test maybe three weeks ago. I'm also going to have the seven, what is it, 23andMe DNA test too. Because the ancestry. Oh, you already DNA did that. Test. No, my brother did and my wife did. Oh. I haven't actually done it. So I've done the one okay. with ancestry, which is kind of, I mean, it's confirming what I'm finding, but it doesn't give me any relational background. It just gives me some, like, you know, things that I'm already confirming through this. Yeah. The real problem it has is with, um, although I wouldn't consider myself biracial, um, you know, my parents came from completely different parts of the planet. Um, and it has real problems with these kind of mixes. So it's, well, it's all, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But historically, that was never an issue. 23 and me, however, well, of course my brother found this. You know, actually, that was an issue with the royalty because the royalty was screwing around all over. Always interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So 23 and me, however, is better in terms of maternal and paternal genetics. They have better technology. Um, but I can't, I can't use 23 and me through the ancestry system aside from confirming if people, so if people have taken 23 and me, they can, I think, work back to fourth cousins. I don't think these genetic traces are actually going to be very useful for my family history. The extent to, that Hitler did damage to my father's side of the family is less present than I thought it would be. Um, I have a, a great uncle who was killed in the Second World War outright. <laughs> I have a series of great uncle and great great children that were killed in concentration camps. But what it still shows me is that there are still a variety of folk who escaped. And there are a variety of folk. And my grandparents, my mother, through her parents, interviewed my father's parents and has a brief kind of family history going back two and a half generations, which is pretty good. But through just access to this database, I've been able to improve that and go back four generations on my father's side of the family and actually fill in a lot of blanks of relations that had lost contact and what have you. It's very, very interesting because it's basically data science mapping onto genetics, mapping onto archivist, you know, yeah. genealogical Yeah, it's maps. the age of big data. Exactly. <laughs> this is exactly what it does. Yeah. yeah. So what I'm going to do also, you can get a paper book printed. I don't like the idea that Ancestry has all this information and I can't export it. And it's a great, it's of some concern. Can't you just get a PDF of it? That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, all right, yeah. And the PDF is is huge. I mean, yeah. it's vast. Um, but I think it's absolutely I'll keep you busy for a while. Well, I want to do it. <laughs> my aim is to do it every, for a month every year and to get a, the document over this period of time. Because when I'm not on it officially, I can start exploring some of the eccentricity. Some of the data is just wrong and some of the data is misaligned. So you'll end up with, um, typically a male parent that will have two wives that are identical just because the wives exist yeah. in separate trees yeah. and you don't have to unify them. And, and through that, you'll find some set of parents through one, some set of parents. Oh, through you're another. just the guy to straighten yeah. that shit out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny to me because it's almost a game as well as a game element of it. Yeah. Because no, to you get that system working and, right. Yeah. 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 yeah but the problem now is we got all the data and how the fuck do we put it together so that it's useful? Humans. <laughs> no, humans are the humans need to actually participate in the system. And rather than just, you see, the way this started. It's not about dumbing down the computers to deal with us. We're going to have to learn how to fucking think. Exactly. <laughs> so the way that this started was that this woman contacted me out of the blue saying she was working with my second cousin once removed on my father's side 
trying to understand his family history. And this woman's just a nut. I mean, she refers to me as Tom in inverted commas, or some in quotation marks. <laughs> and, you know, she says, there's no record of your father. So he's, she's not going to take any recollection of my father or my grandfather because she can't find any paper record of them in the UK. I'm like, well, I've got some pretty solid DNA records right here, woman. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, so she's one of these kind of genealogy nuts. And clearly behind this ancestry thing, there are potentially a million of her just gathering bizarre bits of information, putting it in large portion of yeah, and then trying to make, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, trying to make sense of things. Yeah, well, but that's going to get easier. I think uh, we will, there will probably be some computer tools that will help us analyze or point out the problems so that we can resolve them. Yeah. Know? No, I think it's very interesting, and I'm almost I'm almost interested. I think when I finish this month, I will contact Ancestry.com. Because I, I mean, and Bob Mottram is helpful here as well, the data formats that they use to import, are the, in fact, I was kind of almost tongue-in-cheek thinking of injecting some Noble 8 Ancestry into Ancestry.com. <laughs> Seeing how long, because the data format that they import is actually one of the export data formats from Noble 8. Um, but it, it aligns itself relatively heavily with Noble 8 in a really quite curious way. Yeah. And I don't know how smart they are, and I don't really get a sense of them, but I'd certainly like to get in contact with them and see some of the stuff that they're doing, or at least yeah, talk about yeah. how they can improve some of their stuff. Yeah. Because I think the um, they have a lot of data, and it's very interesting. And the way in which these families are created, these family histories are created, I still don't have a mythology metric through that. I'd like to have a mythology metric. You to mean get a, a story? Sense, to get a sense of how much trust you should actually put in this information. Uh, what oh, I've done to do. <laughs> no, well, it's yeah, just no, a no, map. It's that's a mythology. All. No, no. I, and that's the way I feel about it to a certain extent. It's just whether it works or not. <laughs> you know, I've talked a little bit about the Barblats who are B-A-R-B-A-L-A-T, which is not in any way a derived spelling of my family's name, which was considerably more complicated than the way it's spelled currently, but contacted me about seven years ago now, claiming that we were related and really demanding my participation in their family, which was really very strange. There was a crazy uncle... Demanding your participation yes. in their family. I see. Okay. There was a crazy uncle who worked for CERN in Switzerland <laughs> who had designed the format of their screws. I'm kidding you not here, Aaron. And he had tried to go and find some French royalty that he claimed to be related to, and they kicked him out very swiftly. Um, look... This is Hitler. I mean, Hitler basically killed vast quantities of people, and what is left is a few skerricks of people who are desperately trying to understand that whole phenomena. And I think the Holocaust, in terms of its effect on people who are now third, maybe even fourth generation from the Holocaust, is still very real. People yeah. want to understand their family histories. They don't have access to primary information. And if you have a strange-sounding name that's strange like their name, then immediately you must be related. My father takes this information and completely discards it. I mean, he is very strongly of the view that this is mythology. But within four generations, this Chicago family... The Goldsteins, yes, there are probably plenty of them in Chicago, but the particular Goldsteins that married, uh, you know, a, a, I don't even think, uh, it was a Wolfberg, which is my grandmother's grandmother's 
name. Um, you know, they, they are distant, maybe distant relations, but it's all mythology at some point. And you've got to be comfortable with mythology. It's a fun exercise. It's a story. Yeah. Yeah. Mythology is actually downgrading it. It's a story that we construct to make Mm. sense out of things Mm. and probably works in some ways, not so good in others. Uh, you don't have to have just one story. You can have mul- multiple stories, but I, I don't think it needs to be any more than that. Well, here's where it becomes mythology. A number of these folk, particularly the royalty, actually got themselves painted, and even a number of the kind of lesser royalty. So you have this beautiful kind of painting scenario as you go through the tree as well. But I genuinely like to know more about the skull smasher dude, or maybe the wise guy previously. That's going to be obviously much more difficult. That was a long time ago. You kind of imagine these people. This is where it becomes mythology. Because even the stories that exist, I mean, even the stories that exist within our lifetimes. Well, shit, I've seen enough movies. I can fill in the blanks on Skull Crusher. (laughs) Shit, that's not a problem, really. Yes, yes. (laughs) So, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought experiment, which has really captivated me for, you know, the the twilight hours of the past uh, week or so. Interesting. I find it interesting that you find it interesting. Well, I find it interesting that you find it interesting that I find it interesting, because <laughs> I also find that interesting as well. Yeah. I well, certainly never, without the big data component, without the game component, without the element yeah, of trust yeah. and analysis, yeah. I probably wouldn't find it interesting. Yeah. This has never existed previously, Harris. That's right, yeah, the ability to do this kind of analysis. The ability to do this kind of analysis is is yeah. the dawn of the new age. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. This is, um this uh, yeah, this is going to allow us to deal with matters that we haven't been able to deal with. Yeah. And the fact But it's, it, but that's still well, it's still yeah. decades off, you know. I mean, before we actually because this see, humans are not up to this. That's the problem. That's why the people of, you know, you can't dumb the computers down to deal with people. That's not going to work. <laughs> we're going to have to get smart enough to deal with our computers or we're not going to have a place here. One of the things that I like to think about through this process is even if you look two generations ago or three generations ago yeah. or four generations ago, oh, yeah. you have a sense of the potential trajectory of what four generations time could be yeah not in terms of predictiveness but in terms of vast just how, possible just how, how much it can change yeah 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 that's why i'm optimistic you know I, I think i think people are up to it i think uh when it really gets down to it i think people actually are going to wake up yeah you know, but it'll be primarily among younger people i mean that's the real hope is the next couple generations of kids next 20 30 40 years it may be a very small number of those folk, though. It may not just well, be... Well, we'll have to see, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, obviously, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm just saying if it's not a significant number, we're in serious trouble. <laughs> it could be also, and we've talked about this previously, that everything is lost for a couple of generations, and then someone discovers the Stone Ape podcast. Or, you know, yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, well, the, you know I hope not. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't really make any difference. Actually, because 
we're going to get whatever the fuck we're going to get. The issue is, can we get prepared for it and try to deal with it and try to make this as painless as possible? Yeah. I, I, it seems to me it's clear that the old way is over, though. It just it has run its course and that, that, that we're moving into a global civilization and, and a uniting of humanity on some level. And, um, and how hell are we going to do that? <laughs> yeah. Do you have uh, anything to to throw out there? Do you have any final thoughts, any ideas you want to put out there? Oh, we- how about uh, the voice in your head is not something that you are doing. It's something happening to you. How's that? Well, more importantly, perhaps... The voice in your head for the past two and a bit hours, at least. That's right. Yes, right. Have been Heron Stone and Tom Barbalay. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, but now we will turn your brain back over to you, and you can go ahead and think your own thoughts for the rest of the evening until you, we show up again. Oh man, Heron, good chatting as always. <laughs> we will not talk next Friday, but we will talk, no doubt, the Friday following, and we will have many more topics. Okay. To discuss. Okay. Good. Good night. Good night.